Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Good evening Maverick family and new viewers Welcome back to the Maverick News channel where we have the antivirus program for your mind that is going to be one of our main objectives tonight is to give you good information to counter propaganda we're going to talk about propaganda we're going to look at some stories that i think are pure propaganda and if they aren't directly propaganda they are um stories that have been propagandized and we're going to look at some other stories that I hope are legitimate. And we're going to look at fake stuff that looks real, that is a combination of real and fake. And it makes me wonder sometimes what is real and what isn't real. But we're, but I'm referring actually to the new Beatles song and video. Yes, a new Beatles song that was released this week. Is it real or is it Memorex? It's a combination of both. It's Memorex cassette tape type stuff from the past with recordings of John Lennon and an old demo that he made. It's a combination of that with new material from Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. It's got some archived stuff from George Harrison in there. And then they've used artificial intelligence, machine learning to isolate old tracks and put together a final finished version of a song called Now and Then. So we're going to look at that. And I'm going to take you back in, in time tonight as we look a little bit more in depth into propaganda. 
take you back to World War II, and we'll talk about some horrific acts that were committed and then attempts made to cover them up later. And we'll look at how all of that was handled by government and media at that time, which should give you some insight into how things are today and how things operate today. We have a uh, an interview with Kevin Michalizzi from Crimea tonight, a report directly from Kevin, who tells us that attacks, Ukrainian attacks in his area have intensified more drone attacks. That being said, it looks like there is an upside, a, a, a brighter side to what he's experiencing over there. It is not just more attacks. There's something positive that he is observing that, you know, we should all be observing there. We'll update the situation with Israel, Palestine, a lot of demonstrations still ongoing. Russell Brand accused of sex assault in uh, of a movie extra and yet another new lawsuit against him. We have, uh, what else do we have? Yeah, I think we'll probably be sticking with the broadcast uh, right up until our uh, usual time at the end of the evening, at which time we will then flip over and pick up the feed, maybe, at least on Rumble. <clears throat> we, might, we might not be able to run this on uh, on YouTube, but the Strange Bedfellows program will be on later tonight. And uh, that should be an interesting conversation. And we'll pick that up. But I think we might have to just dump off YouTube and run it only on uh, the other platforms like Rumble. So if you are watching on Facebook, Twitch, whatever, CloudHub, whatever, wherever you're watching, if you're watching this on another platform, please consider, would you please consider subscribing to us over on Rumble? That's our free speech platform. We're growing over there. It's really important that we have people migrate to that platform because we keep getting banned off YouTube. We're still running tonight on that uh, third backup channel that we have. So at least we have that. And we'll be back on the other channels uh, sometime this month, I hope. I hope. But uh, that's what happens when you're trying to tell the truth. I think sometimes when these days, I, I'm, I sit here, I do my best to tell the truth, and then I get hit with censorship. And you know why? Because in this wartime environment, if you haven't picked a side, uh, they don't know what to make of you. So you get caught up one way or the other in some sort of censorship because you're not selling the narrative to people. You, that's not what I'm doing here. So it's like I can't win for losing when it comes to uh, the online censors. May, you know, it's crazy right now. So we'll reflect on that tonight. And in addition to that, 
we'll uh, we'll also look at this eight million dollar barn that Justin Trudeau had built. His government just seems to spend money willy nilly, left, right, and center, like it's going out of style and as plentiful as water. I don't know. I don't know. Pretty crazy stuff. So we'll we'll hold on to that story. Run it a little later in the uh, in the broadcast. We'll tell you what's going on with that. And then I think if we have time, we'll try to get to the phones tonight, so you guys can comment on that. I thought that would be an interesting story to sort of use as a catalyst for conversation tonight. We'll see where that goes. When we come back, we will join Kevin Michalizzi in Crimea. And he'll bring us up to date on what is happening with those missile and drone attacks in his area. Don't go away. You're not going to want to miss it. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Kevin, thank you for joining us on the program again. And uh, another important conversation we're about to have because you're, I guess you're enduring some attacks over where you're at. What What's the situation? Well, you know, last week for, oh, just about the whole week, we had uh, multiple drones uh, shot at Sevastopol and Kerch and uh, the Sochi area. Uh couple of nights in a row we had 30 32 drones and uh just a large barrage of uh british storm shadow and u.s attack them missiles uh you know six seven a night uh we had on the 31st three attacks during the day so they've they've been getting pretty bold at uh striking us but they haven't haven't landed anything yet so they're they've been successful in intercepting these and destroying them on routes or in the air <clears throat> correct uh the s-400 seem to be extremely effective against the uh attackums and storm shadows so it's a good thing these are this is new kind of warfare that we're witnessing because of the use of these drones and, and missiles. Can you comment on that? Yeah. You know, the drones in general in this conflict um, is a new thing. You know, they 
send them loaded with explosives. Um, you know, they're getting, uh, you know, targeting information from U.S. and British uh, surveillance drones out over the Black Sea, just over into international waters. And, uh, you know, this is something that hasn't occurred before this particular conflict. Now, you know, that was another uh, escalation that we had last week is the uh, U.S. and British were actually flying uh, into Crimean airspace or claimed Crimean airspace. The U.S. says that it's international, but uh, we've had the... Uh, SU-35s going up and chasing them away. And this is also about um, efficiency because these drones, uh, you, you know, in many cases, they're not that expensive relative to, say, other other types of weaponry. So it, uh, I guess it makes it possible for lesser powers to go up against uh, even bigger superpowers using low technology or lower technology weapons well even for the big superpowers um russia uses a lot of these is what they'll do is they'll send a whole swarm of them 50 60 drones at once at a location they want to strike the ukrainians pop off their you know what's left of their anti-aircraft missiles and then it's followed in by a large expensive missile that takes out whatever they're going after yeah, and to take these things down, I guess you really, the the approach that has been taken is to have uh, surface-to-air missiles that can intercept these things, right? So is is that what they're doing, or are they using um, uh, other kinds of weapons to, 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 to take them out? Well, Russia uses electronic warfare to take them out. So they've got, uh, you know, new anti-drone devices that they can aim at them, fire, and it just disables them. They drop wherever they're hit. So okay. that's why so many of them are dropped in the sea, or if they even make it over the peninsula, they're dropped out in you know middle of fields and things. And that's because... So they... they're saving the anti-aircraft guns for right. the missiles. So they're using jamming technology, essentially, to interrupt the GPS signal so they become disoriented or, or just drop out Turn of the them sky. off. Just yeah. Turn them off. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what Ukraine doesn't have. So um, they're trying to use their anti-aircraft missiles and, you know, automatic weapons to shoot these things down, you know, out there with handguns shooting at them, trying to, to bring drones down. Right. So what uh, kind of impact does that have on the people who are living there? Is it, uh, uh, affecting everyday life in any way, or their, uh, or their even their mental state? Is it a thing of concern? It must be. You know, most of the people who had concerns about this have already left the peninsula. A small majority. There were a lot of people, um, either from Ukraine or from the mainland, that lived here, and they were afraid initially. They moved off of the peninsula into the mainland, sold their properties. The people, the majority of the people living here doesn't affect them at all. Um, it's just another daily occurrence. Uh, you know, you watch the telegram channel of the uh, head of the peninsula or the head of Sevastopol, and they post when there's an 
air raid alert, you're supposed to go to a shelter. Um, you know, the government officials have been complaining that people, A, don't know where the shelters are, or B, they get there and the guy who has the key doesn't show up. So they've, uh, about a week and a half ago, they run a whole series of uh, drills where they would send these alerts off and then they would watch these uh, uh, shelters. And if people weren't showing up, they'd go around, knock on the doors and say, you know where the shelter is? You need to go there when you hear the alarm. So they would run these alarms just for, you know, no reason other than training people to get used to going down to the shelters. Interesting that you talk about that because in a way this, this is sort of the, the new normal for people there. And I, uh, I was going to ask you about escalation. If, if this had been happening a few months ago, we would have been focused on it much more, but because these attacks have continued to come, you know, we initially mm-hmm. we saw drone attacks against Moscow and there was a lot of concern about that. And of course we, we said right here on, on this channel, if drones came and attacked the White House, people would lose their minds. The, the, the United States would react in a um, very aggressive way, I think. But over yeah. in, in Russia, it's, it's a much it, Putin has been pretty calm, taking a, <laughs> you know, a very measured approach to these things. That being said, this what you're telling me is this is escalation. Uh, but people are sort of yes. taking it in stride. Yeah, it's an escalation for Crimea. They're still attacking Belgorod, Bryansk. Um, that's been going on for a while. We haven't seen anything in uh, like Moscow. And of course, they're constantly hitting the Donbass. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it's a major escalation for Crimea. But like I say, it all stopped on the 1st. Now, you know, every time we had a barrage of these drones and missiles, uh, Russia struck back quickly. So mm-hmm. um, back a few days ago, it was last Friday, not yesterday, the week before, um, we were listening to the uh, S-400s popping off missiles from our house. So uh, we could hear the sounds from the house. We didn't have them studying from our house but yeah so it seems and they're far enough away that it's just a real quiet so well i can tell you over here in the in the west in the u.s and in canada there is markedly like almost no coverage of the war in ukraine now or the you know, the conflict there, it's all Israel, Palestine, Israel, Palestine. So yep. all this stuff is suddenly fallen off the radar for people. What does that tell you? Uh, it tells me that uh, they don't care about Ukraine anymore. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that for me. Um, you know, they, they've been cutting funding. There's a lot of the European heads now, uh, you know, the smaller republics saying, you know, it isn't worth us sending them weapons or money. They've obviously lost. So I think we're really coming to a point where there's going to have to be negotiations. Um, I saw a report the other day that, uh, you know, 
Russia was going to increase operations towards Odessa. So if Ukraine hopes to keep a seaport, they're going to need to start negotiating soon. So I would say what Russia so far has secured, what, maybe 20, 25 percent of of the area. Um, It seems to me like they've probably already achieved what their maybe their true objectives were, or maybe they want a little bit more, maybe another 10 or 20 percent of uh, of the area geographically. And then I, I I mean, I get the sense that people say, why hasn't he gone in there and finished hasn't Putin kind of finished this thing, been more aggressive about it? And it's it's my take and and I'd like your view on it, that he's probably got what he really wanted. He he I don't think he wants to control the whole country, it would be difficult for him to, and probably a mistake to go in and take over the whole country because once you have it, you need to control it, support it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants to the borders of the regions he's taken. He wants all of those regions because he views them as Russian territory at this point. So when he took Donetsk Oblast, he took, all of the net skull blast, not just where the front line was. So he wants a little more. And the longer Ukraine waits to negotiate on this, the more they're going to move. They're actually making pretty big advances that I see in Western news, Western telegram, uh, Twitter channels where like, um, Adivka, um, You know, we're making great strides winning there. And reality is, is Ukraine isn't. They're being pushed back and Russia's moving to the tune of, you know, eight to 10 kilometers a day. Yeah. And at this point, it seems that if this thing drags on, like I, I cannot see how Ukraine can stand against this how can they could possibly win it, it they must be running out of troops at this point yeah in fact they have just changed the law where um they've increased the age again of who they will take into the military i think it was 65 and they lowered the bottom end to 14 and uh they're also taking disabled people. So, you know, they're taking, what are you going to do with a disabled guy? Yeah. Well, that's progressive. (laughs) (laughs) That's progressive. My goodness. Talk about cannon fodder. What, what are they? People in wheelchairs out there on the, on the battlefront? Like I don't get it. Not yet, but they, they had a guy out there with one arm. Hey, put the gun under a shoulder. If you can pull the trigger, you're good to go. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, I mean, not sure where all this goes in the end then, because I, I think, you know, that the fact that we're not seeing much about this in the media right now, uh, you've already touched on on the fact that it, it looks like support, military aid, financial aid is drying up. I don't think the population here in Canada and the U.S. has any appetite for sending our troops in, our sons and daughters. 
I, I, I think they'll lose support. And it doesn't look at this point, even though I've heard about the possibility of Biden bringing in the draft, I'm not seeing any indication that that's actually going to happen. I don't think there would be much public support for it. So it seems like maybe we're entering the final stages of this conflict. Yeah. I mean, what's Biden going to justify the draft with? Um, you know, we're going to send our boys to fight against a far superior military with, you know, far superior experience at this point, or we're going to send them to Israel to do, you know, uh, street to street fighting. Yeah, it seems like it's in uh, the best interests of the West and even in the best interests of Ukraine at this point to come to the table and start talking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Zelensky's losing his support. So, yeah, his days are numbered too. Yeah. And I saw a yeah. recent poll and he's, he's got worse approval ratings right now than Biden does. Yeah. And just like Trudeau's 23% on, support. Justin Trudeau and Canada is on the same trajectory. Yeah. His, yeah. His days are numbered. They're talking about the possibility of him resigning within months and, uh, and a lot of pressure even from within the, the party here. So all these guys who have been uh, rattling their sabers and, uh, you know, taking these very hawkish stands uh, on, on this conflict, uh, they're, they're all losing support. It's, it's got to be coming to an end. Got to be. Well, Kevin, maybe is there... Trudeau, Zelensky, and, uh, you know, Netanyahu will take Biden into their little club. <laughs> they can all sail off into the sunset and uh and the sooner the better as far as i'm concerned i just like to yeah. see the killing stop so that's where i'm as at. would i yeah. yeah anything else you'd like to add kevin before we wrap up no nah, that's about it you know just remember that these conflicts are not about the people you know russians ukrainians are you know they're all slavs they are descended from the same lines uh you know, people in Russia still talk to people in Ukraine. People in Ukraine still talk to people in Russia. You know, this is all about governments. Yes, it is. Power and money. Kevin Michalizzi, yep. thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you, Rick. Independent voices are needed. Donate now.
at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The Antivirus Program. For your mind. That was a good interview. That provided some new insight into uh, what's going on over there. And, you know, as I thought about all of this today, and I've actually been thinking about it for, uh, you know, longer than that. Hang on just a second here. I've got audio playing in my head where does it come where's it coming from is that playing for you guys no <laughs> sorry guys i have audio let me play a promo i'll figure out where it's coming from and i'll be right back uh, suddenly some audio popped up and it's driving me a little bit crazy so if i don't get this out of my headphones i'm not going to be able to speak with you Give me just a minute. I'm back. Audio's gone. Computer froze up for a moment. I don't think it affected the broadcast. We're still live across all channels. So that's a good thing. I was, as I was saying, as I thought a lot about this, you know, if you were really a sinister, evil, evil person, and you weren't really working in the best interests of your country, and maybe you were in the back pocket of someone else, just as I was thinking about this conflict in Ukraine, it was extremely irresponsible, in my view, for our governments to encourage and facilitate this war in Ukraine. And sometimes I think these politicians have ulterior motives and their actions, if you look at what they're doing on the surface, it doesn't really give you a real indication of what their true intentions are. It just, I've been thinking, you know, if you really wanted to mess with things and do a disservice to Ukraine, you would encourage and facilitate them going to war. And we said this before, it's like Biden and Trudeau have been willing from the outset to fight to the very last Ukrainian. I don't think they had the best interests of Ukraine in mind when they did any of this. And now it seems like support is drying up 
after all of these deaths, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians dead. Very weird. Maybe my mind is just getting too twisted because of all the propaganda that's out there. And, you know, the problem today is that, you know, and I don't know if you've really picked up on my true meaning and what I was saying there just now. Bottom line is it's hard to know what is real, what isn't real, what's just the messaging that is conveyed to people. You take it at face value. And quite often, I think you're, you're not realizing that you're being manipulated to respond in completely the opposite direction and sometimes against your own best interests. Anyway, everything is propaganda. You want to see some propaganda? This is propaganda, and it's funny propaganda, and there might even be some truth in it. And the best propaganda always has truth at its core, because that's what makes it believable. And sometimes propaganda can be true. It's about promotion and marketing. And here's this video. of This one's going viral. This is about the way JT runs. People are going to town on this one as he runs. They're saying he runs like a girl. Look at his legs. Is there truth in that? Does he run like a girl? Is he a metrosexual, feminized male who who was emasculated by his now estranged wife? Does Justin Trudeau run like a girl? Well, he does have sort of um, a feminine stride and that video doing more damage to his reputation. Again, uh, he needs to run better. (laughs) Uh, We'll see what happens in the next election if he runs again at all. Obviously, he's under mounting pressure to uh, resign. His days are numbered, folks. Um, Oh, you know who else is a propagandist? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's a propagandist. The other day, somebody sent me a video that uh, Arnie made about uh, the Jewish people, persecution of Jews. I didn't run it. This you got to run this video of Arnold. You got to run. I'm not running that. I wasn't going to run it. You know why? Because even if it's a message from Arnold, that is something I would agree with uh, or whatever. He is a propagandist. He is very Nazi-like, in my opinion, because I remember during the pandemic, he basically said, "Screw your freedom." And now some people have forgotten that already. That's very short history, by the way. Uh, But I was just thinking about this the other day, and I thought I'd play this for you tonight. Just to remind you, I'm going to play this video for you instead. Because during the height of the pandemic, like a lot of celebrities, he was clearly paid to make videos to encourage people to stay locked down, masked up, and get the juice. He made a bunch of propaganda films or videos that uh, were shown online. So I'm going to run you the old one, not the new one that he made. 
or the most recent one, which is pro-Israel. I'm going to run you this one, which uh, reveals his fascistic authoritarian streak. Here's... Uh, is the Terminator is terminating his credibility with this propaganda video right there, which he made drink. I don't even know if he was paid for this one. I think this one's really more like uh, the way he really feels. This is about masks and the pandemic and slams anti-maskers. But there's still people that live in denials. There's still people that don't believe in masks. There's still people out there that say, well, we don't have to do social distancing and all this kind of stuff. There is misinformation out there. And my point of it was basically, look, there's no one that knows more about a bicep than I do because I studied this issue for 50 years. And the same is also with the virus. There are people out there that are experts that study this year after year after year and that are experienced like Dr. Fauci that has been in this, uh, you know, probably for his entire life. I mean, why would you not believe someone like that so, and there's so many other scientists out there and experts in this subject. So I believe them and I follow them very carefully. And of course, sometimes things are happening that are unexpected. So then you have to make the adjustments in order. But I think people should know there is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and, and responsibilities. Right. I remember. I remember. Oh, I remember. I remember, Arnie. And that will be a little piece of history that I never forget. Oh, yeah, man. I got your number. Arnold. Uh, Arnold. Yeah, I thought I'd bring him back to show his true colors. Arnold, the propaganda boy. Yeah. Much propaganda out there. A lot of it. The other night I showed you video and I said, I wasn't really sure about it, but I ran it for you, prefaced it that way. And uh, it was a video of what appears to be a Hamas fighter, however you want to characterize, uh, you know, the Hamas dude. And uh, runs out onto the street, fires a grenade launcher into a vehicle. Now, the initial, the day that I ran that, I said, I don't really know what the true context of this is, because at the time, the caption was on the social media post that it was a vehicle carrying uh, Israeli military personnel, and it was like an SUV van type thing. So I ran it, and now today, the same video posted again but freshened up with a new caption this time saying that it was actually an ambulance, an Israeli ambulance. And it appears that it may actually have been an, amb an ambulance. I'm going to run the video for you again. And this is why everything right now is so confusing because you can look at one video and even if it's real, get a completely different 
have a completely different take on it than someone else. Or in this case, I can be viewing this video in a completely different context than I did just two days ago, simply because of the text that accompanies it at the top of the screen. So today, two days ago, it was a vehicle carrying Israeli military personnel. Today, it's an ambulance with injured or sick or dying people in on board. Uh, so, I mean, you see how it suddenly changes everything depending on just a little one, one sentence of information at the top? Watch. And this is disturbing, so just be forewarned. Viewer discretion is advised. And blam. So whoever was in that, I would say, is dead. Okay? And that vehicle is now dead stopped. And there, and as upon second look, yes, there was a flashing light on the dashboard. Look again. This is a security camera that captured this. See the flashing lights on the dashboard? And blam. And the guy casually strolls away after killing someone. My God. I don't know one way or the other for sure exactly what that video is about. Just a guy shoots a grenade launcher into a minivan. Who was in it? Why was it traveling? We don't really know, regardless of what information is at the top of that screen. That's why you need to be so careful. That's why. <laughs> Two people can look at the same thing and come away with two completely different conclusions. And that affects the way people think about everything after that. It affects everything within their view of the world, of the war. It's an information war. The battle is on. The war is on for your mind. It's so dangerous. And, you know, here's, here's this. This was released. This is the first time I've seen it. This is video of apparently some of the founding fathers of Israel. And they talk about what they did during the, you know, the war, the initial war that, um, you know, came after the formation of Israel. At least that's the way I, I take the context of this. And, uh, well, let's bring it up and share this with you. And I just want to forewarn you. I would advise you to keep an open mind, but don't allow this to completely sway you one way or the other. Take it with a grain of salt. Take the context for what it is. To me, I'm not taking this at face value. I'm looking at this video and I'm thinking that it is part of a much larger propaganda campaign designed to discredit Israel. And yet it may, even if it does hold truth, even if it is completely true, 
I'll explain why after we after we watch this. Okay. Um, so here's the social media post. Let's bring it up. It says these are some of the men who founded Israel. Listen in their own words what they did, and maybe you will finally understand. This is from Jake Shields, whoever that is. Don't know. And shared by Jimmy Dore. And now showing it to you here. But I'll tell you, my, my take on this is probably a lot different. I'm certain it is going to be a lot different than just about anybody else. But here you go. Read you the captions. It says, it's either me or them. Okay, this is uh, Emitzer Cohen, Alex. He was a, he was a soldier for Israel. And then this guy says, a state is seized by the sword. That's what my father told me, he said. a country by force. This guy says, uh, of course we killed them. Without remorse. If you killed, you did a good thing, this guy says. This guy says, I was willing to kill. This guy says, I didn't talk to anyone about it. If you killed, you did a good thing, he says. I was willing to kill, this guy says. I didn't talk to anyone about it, he says, this guy. And the same guy says, what about your wife? I assume you lived with her for many years. You didn't talk about it? I never told her, he said. What would I tell her? That I was a murderer? <laughs> and then he laughs. I <laughs> Undoubtedly, it was a combination of all kinds of things in this recording. This is just an audio recording. Of vengeance and cruelty and people who came from... Some people came from the death camps. The question is, what happened there that people were in such a trance that, based on several testimonies, they revealed their anger on everyone they saw, or released, rather. He said he took a step back, drew his gun. Bang, 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 bang. He killed them all. They removed them from the homes in pajamas, it says here. They took them like cows in front of them and killed them. This guy says, during battle, if someone raised hands, I didn't take captives, he says, how many people do you think you killed this way? He says, I didn't count. I can't really know. This guy says, he grabbed a woman, young and good looking. Went into a house, prepared a bedroom, and wanted to F her. The girl came back half dead like a rag. Says when guy raped, there was a 16-year-old girl or something of the sort. You understand, he says, but this is a very, this is very ugly. There was one guy, he says, he passed away, he was a savage. He just took them, it says says, and murdered them in the enclosures, you know, surrounded by barbed wire. All the men were rounded up, he says. They were all sitting on the ground. 
ומישהו Whoever wasn't there can't judge anyone else. Okay. So as a journalist, what am I seeing there? I'm seeing truth, some raw truth, and I'm seeing propaganda at the same time. Like, it seems to me that so much of what is happening in the world and probably has always been like this to one degree or another. It's choreographed, it's planned, it's coordinated. This is an old story. This is from 1948 and after. They didn't know about this before. They didn't, what, what, what is this, some new revelation suddenly in 2023? These things that happened back then and why is it now? Oh, now look at this. The truth revealed. Oh, really? And just now, see both sides engage in this, governments, Paid propagandists, paid media people. They knew the war was going to happen. Somebody knew. This hurts Israel. Hamas. The imagery, like I said the other night, the propaganda fed to me over the years. Still, I, I have trouble getting it out of my head. I see kids throwing rocks at tanks. And that's because of images from like the 1970s on television and the 80s that stuck in my head. You know, the Palestinians, victims throwing rocks at tanks. They don't have anything, no arms at all. But look at what Hamas did. They have arms. And look at the thousands of rockets that they fire at Israel. Those are not rocks. Those are missiles. That takes money. And then they initiate the attack. And now we have this video making the rounds, talking about something that happened so many decades ago. And being offered up to people as though, look at this investigative report, whatever it is. And it, of course, makes the other side look bad. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not 
saying it is true. What I am saying is this was heavily edited. So who knows what the full context of any of those clips really are. I can make people say just about anything I want when I edit video or audio together. You know, um, when it comes to audio, when I was in college and university and I was learning how to do audio production at the, at the college level, I was able to take reel-to-reel audio tape and I would take politicians, recordings of them that I would make just for fun in the studio with a razor blade and old audio tape. And I would cut, be able to cut the audio tape, which is the way that you used to do it, and splice it together to make them say anything I wanted, taking single words from here and there and picking just the right inflection to make them say anything I wanted. Now, I'm not saying that all of that stuff was taken out of context. I'm saying that it was heavily edited. You don't know what was asked before, what was that, you know, said after. You don't know if the people that they're referring to in all cases were people that they killed or someone else killed or maybe, you know, and then he took the gun and he shot them. Well, who is he? What's the context? I don't know. I'd like to see longer clips, not five seconds, three and a half seconds, four seconds, seven seconds. Of, of clips strung together. You see heavy editing like that and hard to get full context. And then you string them together and it sounds pretty horrifying, pretty damning. I'll tell you this, that wouldn't stand up in a court of law, not a real court of law because it's edited. And the, even the laughing, like, I don't know why the guy is laughing. What would precipitate laughter in reference to whatever he is saying there? I don't know. It doesn't make sense unless the guy is completely evil, which somehow I kind of doubt. And yet there it is on video. I need to hear more, see more to really understand it. And in this environment, I know that stuff like that should be taken with a grain of salt. But there it is shared by Jimmy Dore. Must be true. That gives it credibility. I say, question everything, man. Don't let that stuff sway you. I mean, you can watch it, but I'm not letting that dictate my opinion on any of this stuff. I'll tell you, because every side, every war, they commit atrocities. I don't care who's right and who's wrong. They're all wrong in the end because they kill people. And yeah, I guess you can defend yourself. You have the right to defend yourself. But I'll tell you this, I haven't seen a war yet, really, where, every, where people are just have, you know, they're all squeaky clean. But whoever wins the war gets to write the history books, right? They get to, they get to determine who was right and who was wrong in the end. And then the wars continue afterward. They always have the information war afterward. Talk to George Orwell. He'll tell you, just read 1984, Newspeak, and then they rewrite things to rewrite the history. Time travel. Just go back and rewrite the history. Erase information from the past. Suppress it. Don't let people know. 
something's embarrassing to your nation, just deny it. That's why when I hear people, whether they're talking about something from the past or the present, when one side's completely good and the other side is bad, one side's right and one side's completely wrong, not when it comes to war, not even when it comes to just the way people were treated through history. You want to talk about the Jews who persecuted the Jews? You know who persecuted the Jews? Just about everybody. Yeah. The Irish. the Germans, the Russians, the Soviets, the Americans, the Canadians, everybody mistreated the Jews the world over. I remember back in the 1970s, people, you know, they would say, I was a kid, right? I didn't quite understand this. And forgive me, I'm going to, I'm going to use a, a kind of a, it's a pejorative phrase. I guess you could say it's sort of a slur. I don't think it rises to the level of the N-word, because it was a reference really to a government program for displaced persons, as so re referenced in the Canadian legislation. So people would use that as a short form and refer to, to people as DPs. And I was like, a DP? What? I don't know. I never, I didn't really think about it or question it. Um, I just knew that they were using it in a, in a pejorative way. So that uh, it was really a negative thing to them. And what were, who were they referring to? I don't know. I, it just seemed really negative to me. And I was kind of like, I don't really want to get into that with that adult talking that way. But that's what was going on in the 70s. And that was a reflection of anti-Semitism at the time. That stuff went on around the world. It's still going on today. Never really stopped. And it's like everybody was involved, right? The Jews have always been persecuted. scapegoated still going on right now no wonder they need a homeland and you know is that an excuse though for what they do for what they're doing right now bombing civilians i don't think so looks like maybe they're becoming the monsters that persecuted them that's why i said nuremberg 2.0 i think it could actually happen But it won't be just, it won't just be Nazis this time. You might have to drag them all in front of some sort of a tribunal, put them on trial. On both sides, all sides. But who makes that happen? Whoever wins the war because they have the power. And then after those trials, then that becomes the history. And I'm not denying that anything in the past happened. Unfortunately, some people do deny some parts of history, even people who say that, you know, they know their history. It's because it's inconvenient sometimes to acknowledge certain portions of history. When it goes against your, your political beliefs or ideologies. And that's why, you know, you, I heard somebody... It was a major progressive left-wing media personality talking. It was an American, but talking about the way First Nations peoples in Canada and the United States were, have been treated by, you know, through the colonial system 
saying that nobody in, in Canadian history has been treated worse than First Nations peoples, like, or, and, and in the United States. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's not exact words. And I'm sorry, I, I can picture the guy's head, but I can't th think of his name, the guy who was doing this uh, op-ed online. I think it was on, yeah, I think it was just online. And I thought, actually, he's, you know, he said that the Germans after World War II were treated better by the Allies than First Nations peoples. And that the First Nations peoples were treated the worst. And then I thought, actually, you know, <laughs> actually, the Japanese were treated a lot worse. Because not only did Canada put them into internment camps during World War II, because we were afraid of them, afraid they might do something, and not, and they used propaganda to justify that by putting Japanese people into camps, which we have since apologized for. But, you know, we also dropped two, well, the United States, the Allies, dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan. That's pretty bad. There's a lot of bad going around, you know, there's a lot of bad all the way around. And I'm sorry, but, you know, Soviets don't get off. <laughs> not here, not with me. You don't get a pass either, Stalin. Sorry. Because I know about a lot of the stuff that that guy did, too. You know, one minute he's like, you can't be anti-Semitic. And then the next minute. He was targeting Jewish people and having them killed. Fact. You can look it up. It's like, it's a two-second Google search. Just type in Stalin, anti-Semitism. You'll find the history. It's all right there. They persecuted Jews in Russia long before Hitler was even born. And Stalin, I think Lenin was much... <laughs> I don't think he was guilty so much of anti-Semitism, but Stalin was. You know, it, it's, and he was just so married and committed to his communist ideology that, you know, it was, it was about not letting anyone stand in the way of that. That's why he took on such an anti-nationalist stance, just because, you know, he, he was a collectivist. And if you were a nationalist in Ukraine, then look out, baby, he was coming for you. Is nationalism, does that equal fascism? Nationalism, in my mind, doesn't automatically equal fascism. Donald Trump calls himself a nationalist. Some people would say that makes him a fascist. I say it makes him America first, but not necessarily a fascist. There's a distinction to be made there. Nationalism does not equal fascism. Is Adrian, the guy with the flag, the First Nations guy we've been talking about, past two nights is he a fascist i'd say yeah based on his actual ideology and the words that he uses donald trump doesn't speak like that it's very anti-semitic and the use the recycling of those nazi symbols that he's using that is very anti-jew anti-semitic and very disrespectful in my opinion and by the way the, uh, the connection, the claimed connection between him, him, that new Thunderbird Nationalist Party movement, political movement thing, Canada's new Nazi party, the connection between 
him that he claims to have with Kevin O'Leary that, yeah, the TV celebrity guy, the multimillionaire guy, I haven't been able to establish that. So I don't know if he's just lying, if Adrian's lying about it, which is entirely possible. Could just be name dropping in order to get people to support him. Or maybe not. I don't know. I've reached out to Mr. O'Leary. He has not responded. So I don't have a, a comment from him back yet. I'm waiting. I'm hoping that he will respond and maybe we'll shed some new light on this. But that one floored me. Didn't expect that. But see, that's the other problem too. Beware of people who will not be completely transparent, especially politicians with new political parties who want to tear things down, by the way and replace the dominion with a republic. And look up republic. What is a republic? A republic is not always necessarily democratic. <sighs> Beware, be careful. People's Republic of China. Well, they tell you maybe that it's supposed to be like the Republic in the United States, and I don't even know if the U.S. system is really better than what we have up here anyway, but that's a whole other story. Is that what people really want? I don't know. A lot of these people who call themselves patriots, I really have to wonder. You know, I really, really, really have to wonder. Because it seems like a lot of people who say they want to save the country actually want to tear it down. And a lot of these people that I'm hearing this kind of talk from, They, uh, they seem to be openly anti-Semitic now, and they're just being very upfront and uh, candid about it. And, you know, this propaganda, a lot of it, this is the thing. A lot of this stuff coming out right now seems to be very anti-West, anti-Canadian, anti-American. It's been going on for a long time, and I engage in it here too. But my focus has been anti-Trudeau when he screws up, calling him out when the things that he does appear to be going against the best interests of the Canadian people. You know, some other people who claim to be patriots, they seem to be very eager to destroy Canada and to destroy the United States while pretending to wrap themselves in the flag. And they're pretty blatant about it. And I think that they, people get so up, upset by what these, but with the information these people are peddling. I think people get so agitated, they get so emotional that they lose sight of where this kind of rhetoric actually leads them. So here's Stu Peters. Listen to this. Listen to the way he talks about America. The way he describes America with the American flag behind him. That was, you know, built on blood and death and imprisonment and torture and misery. It's going to take somebody to actually lead millions of people to tear down and abolish a government that has become murderously oppressive to God-given inherent inalienable rights. No, I agree. So it's a murderous, oppressive government that violates your rights. It's a government that's built on blood. The government has to be torn down. 
Does that mean he just wants to replace Biden and bring in Trump? Doesn't sound like it. Not so much. That sounds pretty aggressive. And that's the kind of talk that I'm hearing also from other people, some people up here in Canada who are, you know, pretty openly, you know, anti-system, which would in itself be technically treasonous. That doesn't sound very pro-America to me as he sits there with the American flag behind him. Some people might argue, well, the United States is so evil and we've done so many evil things that we have to, I don't know, tear it down because that is the patriotic thing to do. You see how twisted and warped everything sort of becomes? Depends on how you view things. But you know, everything it seems these days is propaganda. Do you remember, you ever hear of Tokyo Rose, the propagandist? And this is just stuff to make you think. Makes me think. Let me see if I can find Tokyo Rose. I had something queued up for you here. Well, first of all, let me run this. This is, no, let's stick with Tokyo Rose. Tokyo Rose, where'd you go, Tokyo Rose? Here she is here. All right, bring this up. Here's a clip of Tokyo Rose who was, you know, a propagandist for the Japanese. And actually there were a bunch of Tokyo, it was Tokyo Rose program. And they had a lot of female announcers who would broadcast to troops overseas who were at war with Japan in order to try to sway them, right? Um, anyway, here we go. Tokyo Rose, here's a little clip from the archives. Tokyo, relax. All set? Okay, here's the first blow at your morale. Hey, Tiger, singing and singing. Hey, Pop, I don't want to go to work. Please be listening. And they'd play American music. All right. So it's pretty entertaining. And it had not bad, not bad. And now, here's your news announcer with news from the American home front. As American casualties on land, sea, and in the air soared skyward on Okinawa, repercussions of this bloody campaign and the bungling tactics of the American war leaders echoed throughout the United States. A Washington report said that the Army and Navy departments are squirming uncomfortably under a barrage of vicious charges and censor from the nation's press. One outspoken editorial today asked, whether the military leaders were saying when they approved the present operation and charged that the pinpoint island of Okinawa was not worth the appalling sacrifice of their young men. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all for now, enemies, but there'll be more to sing tomorrow night. Until then, this is Orphan Ann, your number one enemy, reminding you GIs always to be good. Goodbye now. So there's a little clip of Tokyo Rose. Let me just, uh, okay, so, so that was a generic term. Tokyo Rose used to refer to various English-speaking women who used to broadcast propaganda on Japanese-controlled radio stations during World War II. The most infamous among them was uh, Eva Taguri, who later became known as Orphan Anne. You saw her there during, and she went, was put on trial. 
So Tokyo Rose's broadcasts were a significant component of Japan's psychological warfare campaign aimed at undermining the morale of the American troops. Her broadcasts were featured, um, were, they used to feature, as I said, like a mixture of music from America, uh, news, commentary, design, but it was all designed to weaken the resolve of uh, allied forces. Tokyo Rose often played, um, well, you know, the, the music that they would play would appeal to the uh, American troops. So they would play stuff that they would like to kind of pull them in and make them feel almost like they were listening to, you know, something from the home front. Some soldiers found the broadcasts to be a source of entertainment, a connection to the homeland. Others were disturbed by what they heard because they saw it as uh, attempts, as accurately, they saw it as an attempt to undermine their morale and loyalty to the United States. So even Taguri was an American. She was born in Los Angeles and she was um, accused of being Tokyo Rose. She traveled to Japan to care for her sick aunt before the war and was forced to participate, forced to participate in the broadcasts to avoid imprisonment. Importantly, you should note that she never engaged in activities detrimental to the United States. At least that is what came out of her trial after World War II. She was arrested and tried for treason by the U.S. She faced charges that she had actively engaged in propaganda to undermine the troops. But you need to note that her conviction was based on a combination of information. Some of it questionable in terms of legal process and even the way the public perceived her. It becomes a complicated thing, right? So if you take an anti-American stance with your coverage as you know, some of the information that I've conveyed over months could be interpreted that way. But does that make me treasonous or traitorous? I don't think so. I engage in criticism, yes, when I think it's constructive to do so and necessary to hold politicians accountable in the court of public opinion to serve the best interests of the people. Do I see others engaging in pure propaganda? with an intent to undermine morale and subvert efforts by our governments as they affect this war? I would say yes. Are they on the right side of history? You can decide for yourself, man. Free speech is free speech, right? But is it free speech if you're getting paid by a foreign government to say things that aren't your words, if those words are designed to undermine morale and derail the overall war effort that goes against your country, you see how complicated this stuff becomes. Is that free speech or is that a weapon? Information warfare. What if you are acting not in good faith as you convey the information and you hide behind free speech rights in order to put propaganda, misinformation, disinformation out there. Should that stuff be censored? And if so, how do you distinguish what is truth and what isn't? 
So the legal case against Tenguri was fraught with complexities, as I'm just laying out for you right now. She was initially found guilty of treason in 1949. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But her case was marred by a lack of concrete evidence of her intent, intent to betray her country, even though she clearly used to say things that certainly did do damage to the United States. And there was questionable testimony from other informants. So in 1977, President Ford pardoned Eva Tuguri. He said that there had been a miscarriage of justice in her case. That's pretty interesting. 1977. So this pardon um, was considered at the time by those who were sympathetic to her as being a long overdue acknowledgement of the injustice, as they viewed it, that had been done to her. And it serves as a reminder of the importance of a fair and transparent legal process, especially in times of conflict. And, you know, then the other question arises, how serious was the offense, even if there was intent? Was she just following orders? And where will we be at the end of these conflicts in Ukraine and Israel, where will journalists end up in all of this? How many journalists will be held accountable? You know, um, I've heard people like Stu Peters and others and people within the freedom movement in Canada say that they're going to hold journalists accountable in extreme ways over the issue of like, the pandemic, not just politicians, but journalists as well, will be held ex to, you know, to extreme account. What does that mean? The death penalty? Because you're not conveying the information that fits their narrative. Is that right? We've seen journalists on both sides in the current wars arrested. We've seen journalists penalized. Russia's arrested journalists and they put them on trial. And we've seen America censoring and even arresting journalists. I think Owen Schreier from InfoWars is, in, is behind bars right now. for his participation in the J6 incident. Both sides. They're really afraid of journalists. They're really, but you see, are they journalists or propagandists? Is Stu Peters a patriot? Is he a journalist? Is he a propagandist? We don't really know, do we? Maybe we don't know. I'm seeing a lot of it. Tons. And you know, it's always been this way as far as I can tell. Case in point, you know, you go back to World War II. And uh, again, you know, I said that journalist said that uh, First Nations, nobody's been treated worse than First Nations peoples, right? The Germans, they were, they were treated much better 
Were they? Really? You ever hear of Dresden? War crimes on both sides, all the way around, man. I'm just telling you. This was a dark chapter of history during World War II. It left an indelible mark on humanity, and it tragically targeted civilians and was subsequently shrouded in secrecy and denial. This was the destruction of Dresden. It was a bombing, a bombing campaign. Dresden, a city located in Germany, okay, it took place over three harrowing days from February 13th to 15th, 1945. It was a time of unimaginable destruction as Allied forces, primarily the Royal Air Force and the United States Army Air Forces and Canadian pilots participated in this. They unleashed a series of air raids on the city. Dresden, known for its historical and cultural significance, bore the brunt of these relentless attacks, resulting in a catastrophe that remains etched in the collective memory of some, but not many, because so much effort was made afterward and even today to suppress the information because of the horrific act, the, I would say it was a war crime committed against Germany and German people. What makes the bombing of Dresden especially tragic is the immense civilian toll it exacted. Dresden was not a military stronghold or a significant industrial center during that time. It was home to thousands of refugees and innocent civilians seeking shelter from, you know, the advancing Red Army. The exact number of casualties remains in dispute. Some say it was maybe as little as 25,000. Others say others, maybe as many as 100,000 lives lost in just three days. It's a tragedy that sparks intense controversy still today over the deliberate targeting of civilians. Where are we seeing that right now? Isn't that interesting? Critics argue that the bombings in Dresden represented a clear violation of the principles of just warfare, possibly a war crime. The intended military objectives were to disrupt transportation and communication networks. However, the impact on the civilian population far exceeded any conceivable strategic necessity. This prompts profound ethical questions about the choices made in the darkest of times where human lives are sacrificed at the altar of war. That's why it's so dangerous to just deal with things in cliches. Oh, look, a Nazi there. You're all Nazis. Justifies any action after that in the minds of some people. Nazi, kill them all. The true intent of that bombing raid, folks, was to demoralize the population to bomb them into submission. That's the truth. A CBC documentary was produced, and I, this is etched in my memory. I never saw the documentary because it was produced, and as I recall, this goes back maybe the 1990s, late 80s, and they'd interviewed Canadian pilots who had participated in it, but that documentary, as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, never ran. 
because the evidence was so damning, so embarrassing. As much as Canadian soldiers fought against fascism and did the right things, like every country, every side in a war, I think it's almost inevitable that you end up engaging in activities that are that run contrary to the best interests of humanity. The tragedy of Dresden didn't end with the bombings themselves. After the war, there were concerted efforts to downplay the full extent of the destruction and civilian casualties. Some argue that this was a deliberate attempt to maintain the moral high ground in the face of such widespread devastation. The secrecy and suppression of information left survivors and the world at large struggling to understand the true scale of the tragedy. Just deny it. Never happened. Who cares? It's just a bunch of Nazis. No, man, it's people. It's German people. It's other people. You don't even know who you're bombing at that point. It's just It was just a carpet bombing campaign over three days to just destroy everything. Just up the street here, as part of this community, the small town just up the road, it's named Dresden. My mother was born there, renamed, as I recall. Anyway, town of Dresden. Dresden. Well, this is Dresden, Germany. Over time, the truth of the bombing of Dresden has gradually emerged. Scholars, historians, survivors worked tirelessly to uncover the hidden stories and reveal the painful reality. The courage and determination of those who sought the truth brought to light the tragic events of February 1945. It has forced the world to confront this dark chapter in the past as well. Too much of the World War II history was suppressed. And I'm sorry, you can deny the Holodomor all you want, but it happened. Policies under Stalin that did lead to mass starvation. Such a maniacal commitment to a political ideology and a determination to collectivize and steal. The property and the productivity, the food, take everything from the kulaks. That happened too. They all engage in terrible activities because they live in a different world. These, you can call them whatever you want. You'll call them elites. They're all elites. All of those people who rule, they get to kill people and they get away with it. You're a political opponent, off with your head, literally, in some cases. And yes, Hamas will do that. Al-Qaeda, ISIS. Look up Daniel Pearl, journalist. Chopped off his head. I believe his last words were, I am a Jew. And now look at what you're getting from Israel in the Gaza Strip. Does it ever end? It goes around and around and around in circles. And I have to be careful sitting here that I don't contribute to it. I want to stop it. 
Nobody's going to pay me any amount of money to say this or say that. And I don't know who's getting paid out there and who isn't. I can only control what I do. I can only control what I say. Other people can say what they want. But I'll tell you this. Some of it is just so blatantly biased that they're either mentally deranged because they're so married to political ideologies and a particular point of view that, you know, they they shouldn't be journalists or they're in the bag, bought and paid for propagandists. That's where the truth really starts to come out, man. You want to see truth? Just look at the bias. You see bias to that degree? They don't give a damn about people. They, it's money. Who's getting paid? Or who's afraid? Who's afraid? What, what, you know, it takes courage to be a real journalist. Just to stand up. Call it real truth. Oh, I'll tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Careful. Care, be, beware the patriot who wants to destroy the country. <laughs> and there's plenty of them these days. I'm telling you. I'm so disturbed, so disappointed, so concerned. Ah. Where to begin, where to end, where does it stop? I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Everything, everything, it's just freaking fake. Like, I don't know. Is this guy a journalist? Is he is he acting a good faith? Is Jackson Hinkle acting a good faith? This guy who just casually throws out there several times that invading Canada and taking over the country might actually be a good idea. And then as I sit and look at all of you know everything in his feed, it's all pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli, you know, clearly anti-Semitic at times. Israel just bombed Al-Azhar University in Gaza. Let's take a look at his page. I mean, this guy is like, like so heavily biased in what I'm seeing. So here's his Twitter account. I don't know. Nothing against him personally. It's just an observation. He says, help me expose the propagandists by subscribing to my X premium for $3. Most viral account on X. The dive with Jackson at gmail.com. So, I don't know, probably a lot of you follow the guy. Here's a post. Israel is losing a lot of multi-million dollar tanks to homemade RPGs in Gaza. You know, I'll challenge you to find anything on his Twitter feed, anything, anything at all that says anything positive about Israel. Going live at 8 p.m. to expose Israel's horrific war crimes and discuss how Gaza is striking back. 
Um, here's a uh, little comic meme thingy. Self-defense, terrorism. Yeah. See, there's the cliche, right? I told you. Kids throwing rocks at tanks. There's a kid with a slingshot against a soldier with a gun. An Israeli soldier with a gun and a Palestinian kid with a slingshot. That's the image that the propagandists want to put in your mind. Zionists, he said, will try to silence me, but I'll never stop fighting for Palestine. Oh, so you just said that you're fighting for Palestine. Okay. So if you are on one side or the other as a journalist in a war, would that make you a propagandist? And would you trust the person giving you the information? It gets pretty complicated at times. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Is CNN, as a reporter for CNN, who is embedded with uh, uh, Israeli troops, is that person unbiased? I would say no. Got to take anything they report with a grain of salt, man. Because in order to get in with those troops, they're going to be wanting you to, one, agree to not reveal their positions or any information that might compromise their safety. So instantly you're compromised on the information side to that degree. And it goes beyond that. They're, gonna, they're only going to take somebody along with them if they're promoting what they're doing. They're instantly biased and controlled because they're also told where to go. They're not allowed to roam around freely when you're embedded with troops. Jackson Hinkle again, Israel just bombed Gaza's main water reserve. This water is not drinkable, but it's the only water available. It's their only source of water. Okay, well be may well be true. Israel just bombed Gaza's main water tower again. And truth can be propaganda because, of course, it's not just what you report, it's what you choose not to report. And when you're reporting on particular stories, even if they're true, if you choose to focus on stories that cast negativity on one side or the other, then you are having an impact on the conflict, swaying public opinion. Here's a one, two, three, so you got eight images of massive protests, which may or may not be current. I don't know. Over what time? I don't know. But it says the whole world stands with Palestine. That's Jackson Hinkle again. And then he says in this post, I haven't seen any protests of this size for the Zionist occupation. Let alone in the heart of America's capital. And yes, there was a big rally today in Washington. I think there were about 10,000 people in the Capitol. And there's an image of what that protest looked like. What does that tell me? Does that tell me that Palestine is right and Israel is wrong? No, not necessarily. It tells me that Israel is losing the information war, the propaganda war. I do not sit here tonight in judgment of one side or the other to say that one is right and one is wrong. I can tell you that Israel is losing the information war. Maybe the most important part of the war. Without public support, Israel is screwed. Jackson Hinkle has a large following. People listen to him. They believe him. That's why it's so important 
for a journalist to be fair and balanced. And yes, I do inject my opinion. But I try to do so responsibly. Call it as I see it, acknowledging that I bring my worldview to bear on anything that I report. And I also let you make up your own mind as well. And some people who call in here don't want me to have an opinion. If my opinion runs contrary to theirs. Interesting how that works, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm singling Jackson Hinkle out because he's such a prominent figure. And Stu Peters. And there are others they just happened to be in front of me today. Not because I had any particular agenda against those two guys. It's just that they've, they just came up in my feed again. And it drew my attention to what their activities are. And I'm wondering about their uh, integrity at this point as journalists. Pretty effective propaganda if that's what it is. But are they really acting in your best interests by taking these stances? I don't know. I don't know. You could argue that they are. You could argue that they aren't. You could argue that as a propagandist, they should be you know, held accountable. And for guys who, well, some people want to hold journalists to extreme account. What if the journalists calling for journalists to be held to extreme account are, in, are not acting in good faith? Should those journalists calling for journalists to be held to extreme account be held to extreme account themselves if it is discovered that they have not been acting in good faith and that they're actually propagandists engaging in activity that some might say isn't exactly patriotic? And is intent important? If your views and your opinions just take you down an unpatriotic road, is that one thing? But if you're intentionally conveying information to undermine a war effort against your own country, knowingly do it on behalf of a foreign entity or a foreign government, would that be treason? I would say maybe. Maybe. Nobody's going to pay me money. To act in a way that compromises my integrity when it comes to any of this stuff. Because people are dying. Other people make choices. Some people make deals with the devil. They'll have to live with that. That's on them. I can only control what I do.
Maverick News. The world is watching. The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind Okay, so I'm back, and uh, yeah, you can help me <laughs> keep my integrity by supporting the show and help me pay the bills because you are the only source of revenue that this show has. You guys, we don't have any sponsors. I've actually turned sponsors, some sponsors away, potential sponsors, so as not to inject money into this program in a way that might compromise integrity potentially, or even create the appearance of being compromised. Have to pick and choose who you would have on here as a, a sponsor because it's a news-based program. I'm pretty old school that way and I got to stick to my ethics. Um, so yeah, you can support the program so we don't go bankrupt. <laughs> Poverty's okay. Bankruptcy, not thrilled with the idea. Um, we can pay the bills. That would be nice. You can donate at freedomreporters.com. Type in the URL. Takes you to the donation page, to the PayPal page. There's also maverickdonations.com. That's the Give, Send, Go account. And yeah. Like, share, subscribe, YouTube, hit the notification bell, share, share, share on Facebook, 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 and head on over to Rumble and subscribe there if you aren't so inclined. That would certainly help us out a whole lot. And liking, sharing, subscribing, all that stuff pushes us up in the algorithm and helps us combat the online censorship from the giant tech giants like Google and Facebook, Meta. We will survive. We will carry on. But that's because of you guys and the support that you guys have been providing. Yeah, help us pay the bills. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. What else do we have for you tonight? I was going to run you this clip of... Uh, It was also from World War II. I don't know. Should I run it or not? I, I, I don't know. It was about the Dresden bombing campaign. It was a um, a clip of a pilot who took part in the bombing raids at the time. Here it is. Here, okay. I'll run you. I'll run you a little bit of it, and I'm, I'm just gonna just listen to the to the way it is phrased, the phrasing 
of, uh, of some of this stuff. And this is the bombing of Dresden, a CBC report from World War II. And I use this for purposes of review and reflection. And it's a teachable moment. And when it comes to media literacy that I think is important at this time, more important now than ever. Okay, let's let this report roll. This is Squadron Leader Les Powell of the Royal Canadian Air Force reporting from Canadian Bomber Group headquarters in Britain. Shortly after news dispatches from the front announced that Marshal Konyev's army is only 66 miles from Dresden, Lancasters of the Canadian Bomber Group, in company with other heavies of Bomber Command, unleashed a torrent of destruction on that capital of Saxony, leaving endless fires and explosions in their wake. Crews reported seeing the flashing guns of the opposing armies along the battlefront to the east, while shortly before they had seen, and were to see again on the return trip, the gunfire along the western front. Airmen reported the Russians were throwing a terrific barrage at the hard-pressed Nazi forces all along the Kavis River front. Dresden, with a normal population of 640,000, is situated on both banks of the River Elbe, and crews identified the target visually by the bend in the river. In peacetime, tobacco, chocolates, and confectionery played a large part in the city's industrial activity. But now, like all German cities, its industry is devoted almost wholly to war work. It is an important railway center, the direct line from Berlin to Prague and Vienna passing through it, and it has large marshalling yards. There is an inland harbor, and other valuable targets include chemical and munition plants, an aviation oil refinery, metal works, aero engine shops, and a naval armament works. In addition, fleeing refugees from the east have crowded into the city to seek haven from the advancing Soviet army. There was no haven early this morning. Airmen who made the long flight were enthusiastic about the success of the raid. With perfect weather over the area, the target could be identified visually and no mistakes were made. As the giant bombers left the target, it was a mass of flames with both sides of the river saturated with fires and the glare in the sky could be seen by returning crews all the way out of Germany. One young bomb aimer from Toronto remarked, believe me, they'll make no more China there for some time. The reports of the crews that both sides of the river were left burning would indicate that both the industrial and commercial centers of the city were badly hit. The commercial center is situated along with the Altstadt or Old Town on the left bank and the Neustadt, New Town, with its industries and administrative buildings on the opposite side. It must have been a rude shock to the Nazi soldiers fighting their hopeless battle against Konyev and his men along the Kvis River to see the mounting flames behind their backs, just as it must have been a shock to the fleeing refugees who thought they had escaped the Russian advance, only to run into the fury of a heavy bomber attack. Opposition was light with only a few fighters reported and anti-aircraft fire light to moderate. And with me is a gunner of a Canadian-built Lancaster who, as far as can be ascertained, is the first man to see both the western and eastern fronts in action during one flight. He is Flight Sergeant Frank Bramley of 10 Oliver Street, Toronto, a member of the Iroquois Squadron. I want you to listen very carefully to the inflection, to the way this guy speaks, because I'm telling you, that this guy is reading a script, this guy that he's that, that is about to uh, be interviewed. And the way the speech patterns are uh, constructed, it's very clear to me that he is selling you something here. He's selling you Canadiana, Canadianism, Canadian pride and justification 
for the war effort, justification for the sacrifice on the home front, justification for the sacrifices necessary to continue to build the war machines like the Canadian-built Lancaster bomber. Who is going to tell you about his long flight to Dresden. It may seem fantastic to people who haven't flown at high altitudes, but the other night I saw both the eastern and the western fronts at once. It makes you think. I mean... The war has gone on so long, and the Nazis used to be so strong, and now a man in a heavy night bomber can practically see across their country. When this can be done, I guess victory really is in sight at last, as well as the two fighting fronts. It was a clear starlit night, though thick clouds massed underneath our Canadian-built Lancaster. We cut across the western sky on the way in. There were quite a few gun flashes and flares but nothing to compare with what we used to see when we went over at the time of Runstead's Drive. Fortunately, when Dresden rolled over the horizon, it proved to be a clear of clouds. Fires already raged brightly. Huge explosions mingled with minor ones, and smoke billowed over the target in vast waves. The old town took it on the chin from a couple of hundred heavy two hours previously. After the terrific beating with which we followed up this earlier attack, I doubt if it will ever get up off its knees in time to do Hitler any good. The flak defenses were almost useless by the time we cruised over the city, and our pathfinders put down very brilliant and accurate ground marks. From what I could see, everyone grouped their bombs closely around these target indicators. The result was that when we left, the fires were more intense than ever. I doubt if any of the Nazis below will need much anti-war education after this is over. But when our Iroquois... Squadron aircraft wheeled around for the homeward flight. My principal feeling was one of amazement at the even greater line of fires on the eastern horizon. The skipper, Flight Lieutenant George McNeil of Regina, said over the intercom that this must be the Russian front. I told him it looked like the Germans were taking an awful beating. Old Joe was in there pitching to win. The front was a chain of vast flashes stretching the length of the night horizon. In size, the flashes reminded me of those produced by a 1,000 bomber attack, except that they extend from one side of the night to the other. By swiveling my mid-upper turret, I found I could see small flashes reflected in the sky over the western horizon, and then the huge flashes of the much nearer eastern front. It was a wonderful thing to see proof that Nazi territory is getting so narrow, but of course it was only possible because we were at a great altitude. On the return flight, Passing over the outskirts of Stuttgart, we were caught by well-aimed flak. Aircraft over the center of the city were drawing the most in uh, intense mass of accurate flak I've ever seen. From my turret on top of the fuselage, I could see how well-placed were the flak bursts chasing us. They began suddenly, and I wondered for a moment if we would get through. There was one burst in line ahead of us, and five or six behind. They had our range all right, and we only got out by weaving the big aircraft violently until Stuttgart lay behind us. We returned safely after that, thank goodness. I think that seeing the two fronts at once was the finest sight I've ever seen. Thank you, Flight Sergeant Bramley. And this is Squadron Leader Les Powell of the RCAF signing off from the Lancaster Station of the Canadian Bomber Group in Britain. Did you hear the way the guy being interviewed spoke? He was reading. And he kind of messed up at one point. He was reading a script. Is that bad? Does it make it inaccurate? Mm, are they his words? Did he write it? Did he have input? I don't know. It was a long time ago. 
back in those days, people were not as media literate or as media savvy as maybe we are today. And so I bet you the people listening on the radio were not even aware that he was reading a written script. Maybe he wrote it. Maybe somebody wrote it for him. Maybe he contributed. I don't know. But the people at home just being told that they're bombing Nazis. But now we know years later that they were actually bombing civilians and Nazis. It was a combination of military, industrial targets and civilian targets. It was just indiscriminate. It was just carpet bombing. And the larger objective was to demoralize the population and the army, what was left of it at the time. And so you had the Soviets, the Red Army, pursuing, corralling them into Dresden, while the other Allied forces, the Americans, the Canadians, the British, flying overhead, bombing the crap out of people, all participating in it to one degree or another, all coordinated. Of course, this, you know, the Russians and the Americans and the Canadians and the British and, you know, they're all coordinated. They're talking to each other. They know what's going on. That was World War II. A lot of this stuff didn't come out until the 1980s when, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, a lot of documents from the old Soviet Union became available so that we could learn about a lot of things. And a lot of documents suppressed over on this side of the wall, too. A lot of stuff that we haven't been told from the past, just too darn embarrassing, goes on everywhere, man. Goes on everywhere. Corruption. Embarrassment. They play, they don't play, they don't have to play by the same rules as us. They get to kill people and get away with it. They get us to kill people for them, to kill each other. And they get away with it. All of them. Always through history. That's the way it works. You all know it. I wish it wasn't so. But it is. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Here on the home front and back to the 
back to current day. Let's drive 88 miles an hour in our time machine and come back to 2023. And here we are. And what are we seeing? We are seeing Russell Brand accused of sexual assault. This involving, I guess, accusations uh, from an extra on the set of the movie Arthur. A new lawsuit. Is it real or is that Memorex? I don't know. Is this just political theater? Is it uh, just an attempt to get money out of a guy who has some money? Is there, is there fire where there's smoke? Another allegation. Russell Brand is facing yet another accusation. It says here in this. This report posted on Yahoo News, filed in the New York Supreme Court on Friday, the plaintiff Jane Doe protected her identity, alleged that Brand exposed himself in front of the cast and crew while filming the 2010 remake of the movie Arthur before he followed her into a bathroom and assaulted her as a member of production crew guarded the door from outside. So this Jane Doe also named Warner Brothers at the production company behind the film in the suit. Representatives for Warner Brothers didn't immediately respond to a request for comment from the rap. It's the latest in a string of accusations against the comedian turned right-wing influencer who has been very critical, honestly, of the establishment with his online podcasts, live streams, Rumble Channel. In September, four women accused Russell Brand of rape and sexual assault. The incidents took place between the alleged incidents took place between 2006 and 2013, a time period that includes the production of the movie, Arthur. And this has cost Brand a book deal, which has been paused. A sold-out live show was canceled. His content has been removed from the British Broadcasting Corporation's digital platforms. And a stand-up special was pulled from Netflix. And he's being investigated by police in the United Kingdom for harassment and stalking. such as life for a celebrity in 2023. Or maybe such as life for someone who actually committed the crimes. I don't know. Hopefully the justice system works. These days, I just don't know what to believe anymore. Can't imagine why. Maybe it's because we've lost our moral compass. Maybe it's because of this story that I'm sure probably all of you are aware of at this point. Um, directives to military chaplains urge the expunging of God and religion from Remembrance Day and public ceremonies. And that is coming up here in Canada on November 11th, right? So, coming up, what's the date today? It is November 4th. So not very far away. Here, I'll bring this one up. This is the National Post version of that story. And I know this one got a lot of people pretty upset. 
Oops. Wrong post. This came out just a couple of days ago. A little recap for, um, uh, you know, on the news of the week here today. But definitely worth taking another look at. I didn't mention much about it this week. There it is. Says uh, new directives for military chaplains that tell them to be, quote, respectful of spiritual diversity during public addresses to employ gender-based analysis and replace religious symbols like crosses and stars of David with a generic chaplain's crest. And there are some who say this could spell the death of the role in Canada of chaplains in Canada's armed forces. That coming from actually that assertion from a long-serving veteran of the chaplaincy, according to this report. It's a further trek down the road of trying to eliminate religion altogether in the military, said Father Timothy Nelligan, who has served over 35 years as a Canadian Armed Forces member, two decades of those as a Roman Catholic chaplain. Interesting. Yes, we are living in a secular society. I've said this many times that Canada, the United States, Western society, we have lost our moral compass. A lot of that is because we have taken God out of the equation at so many levels and so many of our institutions. And here we go again. That's my opinion. Now, there was a statement from the Department of National Defense And it says that the directives should be viewed as, quote, expanding participation in the reflections of military chaplains as opposed to limiting them. It goes on and says, we deeply value the work of military chaplains to support CAF members and will continue to build a diverse, inclusive military that attracts and retains talented people. It says our commitment to diversity, inclusion, and the betterment of our chaplaincy program remains steadfast as we strive to create a more inclusive and respectful environment with the Department of National Defense and Canadian Armed Forces. Translation, the Canadian military is woke, and this, made it just, this just made it woker and more secular. Different people will have different views on all of that. It's certainly related, though, to what is going on right now in Ukraine, in Israel, Palestine, around the world. Here you want to see some video of that gigantic protest in Washington, D.C. today? Stay and doing everything you can to hold thin. And that's all, y'all. We have Palestinians here. Palestinian flags, Palestinian flags. You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing Israel's in a whole lot of trouble. 
That's what I'm seeing. Pick a side, pick a side. People have picked a side. Even member of parliament, Michael Cooper, conservative. He's picked a side. What's he saying about the conflict? Canadian member of parliament, conservative. He says, after shaming pro-Hamas protesters in Edmonton who celebrated the slaughter of Israeli civilians and called for a new intifada, I've been condemned. I consider it a badge of honor. I stand with Israel as it exercises its obligation to defend itself and annihilate Hamas. So these are protesters, I guess, who don't like what he has to say. They don't like his stance. McPhee, stop supporting genocide Palestine is what it says on these picket signs. It says, Mr. Cooper, your racism and disdain for Palestinians' resistance against decades of occupation and genocide is truly disgusting. Interesting. You know, I look at these signs, just an observation. Look at these signs. They're not handwritten. They are printed. They are printed at some sort of a sign company. I don't, I've covered a lot of protests over the years as a journalist, a lot. The only time I see printed signs is when there is money involved. Money, organization, when there are organizations involved. That's not just organic. That's a bunch of printed signs, professionally printed signs. That's just not, that's not just a bunch of people showing up at Michael Cooper's office or wherever it is they are protesting. What are they saying in his chat? Hamas is a creation of Israel, he says here. Yet he says, this is somebody's name, Marco Filiser. Yet your commander in chief will be happy to accept 200,000 refugees from Gaza. I just ask you to settle them in Jewish communities so they can learn to get along. Mm -hmm. And Barb Starr says, thank you for standing against evil. Hero War says, strategy, RPG, NMO, and endless action. See what Hero Wars has to offer. That's spam. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. And um, this guy, Starry Bartfa, says, you have conviction with justification. Sandra GB says, Albertans stand with you. Every politician at this point must be going through some degree of this. If they're taking a position one way or the other, they're going to get criticized by one side or the other. Stand in the middle, remain neutral, and you risk being annihilated by both sides politically. Michael Cooper actually does do a pretty good job at times of holding Trudeau's liberal, the Trudeau liberal regime and the supporting Jagmeet Singh NDP party accountable in the House of Commons. Here's a little video that he just produced today. Let's take a look at that. I don't know if it's actually today, but it's posted today anyway. Actually, yeah, yesterday. Sorry. But this highlights a lot of the scandals and uh, 
controversy plaguing Justin Trudeau and putting pressure on him to resign. So here's Michael Cooper dealing with that. I'm Michael Cooper, Member of Parliament for St. Albert Edmonton. I'm the Vice Chair of the Procedure and House Affairs Committee, commonly known as PROC. Over the past year, PROC has been seized with a study on Beijing's interference in our elections. Interference that Justin Trudeau ignored because it benefited the Liberal Party. Every step of the way, Liberal and NDP members on PROC have been working together to shield Justin Trudeau from accountability. In May, we learned that Beijing orchestrated an intimidation campaign targeting MP Michael Chong and his family in Hong Kong. In 2021, two CSIS memos warning that Beijing was targeting MP Chong and other MPs were sent to multiple points within Justin Trudeau's government, but were never acted upon. As a result, MP Chong was kept in the dark, and if it wasn't for the work of investigative journalists, he would still be in the dark today. Prague has a responsibility to get to the bottom of how Justin Trudeau's government failed to respond to these CSIS warnings and what Justin Trudeau knows and when he learned about it. To conduct a proper investigation, PROC needs the production of relevant documents, including emails and internal memos circulated in Justin Trudeau's office and amongst Justin Trudeau's ministers. But the NDP Liberal cover-up coalition has repeatedly blocked conservative motions that would force Justin Trudeau's government to turn over these documents. Recently, Parliament was disgraced when a former SS soldier was recognized in the House of Commons during the address of the president of Ukraine. This is Justin Trudeau's biggest international embarrassment in a long list of international embarrassments from the embarrassment that is Justin Trudeau. Canadians deserve answers about how this could have happened. It falls within the mandate of PROC to get those answers. That's why conservatives on PROC have been trying to launch a study into the series of errors and protocol involving Justin Trudeau's office that resulted in this shameful incident. And obviously to conduct a proper investigation, we again need to see the relevant documents. But we can't get to the study because the NDP Liberal cover-up coalition are at it again, blocking our conservative motion to let PROC see these documents. The only plausible explanation for why the NDP Liberal cover-up coalition has gone to such lengths to run interference is that there must be emails and other communications from Justin Trudeau's office that implicate Justin Trudeau and his senior staff for this shameful incident. Whether it be Beijing's interference in our elections, the targeting of MP Chong, or the shameful recognition of an SS soldier in parliament, the NDP liberal cover-up coalition is not interested in getting to the truth. The only thing they're interested in is protecting their boss, Justin Trudeau, and shielding him from accountability. But it gets worse. NDP liberal cover-up coalition MPs on PROC don't want their constituents or Canadians to see them doing Justin Trudeau's dirty work. So they insist on holding deliberations in camera. In-camera meetings are not televised or available to the public. They're conducted behind closed doors. MPs are not allowed to talk about what happens when we go in camera. 
The NDP liberal cover-up coalition wants to make sure that we don't get the documents we need to get to the bottom of Justin Trudeau's failures. And they want to do it behind closed doors so conservatives can't talk about it. After eight years, Justin Trudeau and his NDP liberal government believe that they can get away with anything. They have nothing but contempt for parliament, its committees, and for transparency in government. Pierre Polyev and our common sense conservative team will continue to hold the line. We're not going to let the NDP liberals get away with this. We will continue to fight to get the answers that Canadians deserve in the face of NDP liberal cover-up and obstruction. Okay, so that is a produced video that came from the Conservative Party of Canada. And for balance over, you know, the over time, we will run such videos from all the parties. We do try to provide balanced coverage, but that did highlight a lot of the uh, issues that are top of mind for people right now. And yes, we are now going to talk about that $8 million barn that uh, Justin Trudeau had built. I just want to queue up one little thing to go with that. So while I do that, you can watch this. We are Mavericks. We say no to the Trudeau and Biden New World Order. And to bugs. Because bugs are creepy and gross. And people should not eat bugs. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, so you guys can chime in on this if you want um, in the chat. If we have an opportunity, if we have enough time, we'll go to the phones and you can comment on this as well. Uh, this is a story that broke over the last, uh, over the past week. The National Capital Commission spent, get this, okay? This is the Trudeau, this is the way the Trudeau government spends our tax dollars. They spent over $8 million to replace, to build a barn on the grounds of Rideau Hall with a zero carbon storage, zero carbon footprint. It's just a storage building. So there were records that were obtained this past week. And this completed project is a two-level, partially heated storage and vehicle garage. It's located on the site of a barn near the stables on the governor general's estate. So final design of the project was approved back in 2019. Construction took place between July of 2020 and the end of 2021. And now we're finding out that it cost $8 million. In fact, when I say barn, I mean, they called it literally in these documents, the barn. 
And it's the National Capital Commission's first certified zero carbon building. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> I'd like to get that contract. I'll just go down to Home Depot or Home Hardware Building Center or someplace, get a bunch of lumber, <laughs> get to work. Eight million bucks that has solar panels on it. All right. Canadian Taxpayers Federation up in arms about this. Here's a video that they produced to hold the government to account. This is independent journalism. This is what we're doing, highlighting this financial insanity. Canadian Taxpayers Federation. How much do you think it cost a bunch of bureaucrats in Ottawa to build this barn? Go ahead, take a guess. Er, you probably got that wrong, but don't worry because the answer is on the front page of today's National Post. It cost the federal government about eight million bucks to build a barn at Rideau Hall. Now that information was first dug up by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and landed itself on today's front page of the National Post. So it turns out that Ottawa's two worst waste offenders, the National Capital Commission and our friends here at Rideau Hall, teamed up to soak you for eight million bucks to build a barn. Now, I don't know the first thing about farming, but what I do know is that the boys in Brooks could probably figure out a way to build a barn for less than eight million bucks. Now, the bureaucrats say they need this barn to wash down and to store their tools and vehicles, a storage shed. Now, nothing screams fiscal responsibility like spending eight million smackers on a storage shed. Now, just how in the world is the federal government a trillion dollars in debt with spending like that? Well, if you want more information, check out the front page story on the National Post. The feds drop eight million bucks building a barn at Rideau Hall or head over to taxpayer.com. My apologies. I, uh, I was slow on the draw because somebody was sending me some information. I needed to take a look at it uh, just to make sure that I wasn't missing anything important that I need to share with you tonight. And uh, for the moment, I'm still processing it, trying to determine if it's something we need to share with you or not. If it's important enough, I'll get it to you. Don't worry about that. I just need to have a moment at some point here during this broadcast to, to determine if... Uh, that's where we're at. 
So what do we know about what's going on in Israel, Gaza tonight? Um, well, I don't know if there's a whole lot of new stuff. Hamas is claiming that 60 Israeli hostages, though, have been killed in uh, the Israeli Defense Forces bombing of Gaza. 60 hostages, they say, have been killed. It says, in addition, 23 of the hostages' bodies are missing in the rubble. In total, now, and the number seems to keep shifting, but media reporting tonight that in total 241 people were taken hostage. That number is actually coming from Israeli forces. And Doctors Without Borders is saying the conflict has reached a new low after an ambulance strike. The organization which has been providing medical care to people in Gaza condemned world leaders for not calling for a ceasefire. So this statement that they've released, I don't know if they're referring to that ambulance strike that I showed you. Let's see, it says the deadly attack outside the gate of Al-Shifa Hospital impacting an ambulance is horrendous. This is a lethal attack outside Gaza's main and busiest hospital where our staff work daily to provide life-saving medical care. We have repeatedly called for an immediate and total ceasefire for the protection of healthcare facilities as well as medics, patients, and people who are taking shelter there. That's a statement from Doctors Without Borders. This is a new low in an endless stream of unconscionable violence, the repeated strikes on hospitals, ambulances, densely populated areas, and refugee camps is disgraceful. How many people have to die before world leaders wake up and call for a ceasefire? One physician described seeing an ambulance hit outside Al-Shifa Hospital. And this is the quote. He says, we were standing inside the hospital gate when the ambulance was directly hit in front of us. There were bloody bodies everywhere. Many were killed immediately while we rushed others to the operating room for emergency care. That sounds like something other than what we showed you. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm seeing. Ah, yes, this is another video from the other day. It's all crazy, man. This is so sad. So, so sad. What else do we have here? 824. 824. The Beatles. Let's talk about the Beatles. I want to talk about the Beatles because, well, not because I'm big into entertainment news, but because of what they just released this week. And that is a new song. This is a song that was a demo. It was just something they were working on as a band a long time ago. And uh, they used artificial intelligence to finish it. And so this was released just this, just this week. 
and it's called Now and Then. I'm actually surprised it hasn't received kind of more fanfare. And yet still today, I can tell you that it has received well, millions of, uh, it's, it's been downloaded millions of times now, of course, even without a lot of promotion behind it. And so what this was, was it was um, something that they first tried to make something of from John Lennon's now and then demo, which they was done back in the 1990s when McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr reunited to work on new songs that would appear on the group's anthology albums. And they did do that song Free as a Bird and Real Love where they layered in full band arrangements on top of Lennon's demos. But this other recording, I guess a lot of it wasn't that clean, but they, the new artificial intelligence technology that has been developed now allowed them to separate tracks, separate sounds, clean things up. And then they mixed in even some new stuff, some new material that, um, McCartney and Starr recorded and they produced a video to go with this. And it's pretty impressive. I have to say, I'm not a, I don't dislike the song. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's anywhere near any of their best work, but it is a very interesting project. And I just bring it up tonight because it is, this is artificial intelligence mixed with something real. And it looks real. The video looks real that goes with it. The music sounds like something produced just today. And in a way, it is just produced today with the latest technology. But is it real or is it Memorex? Is it fake or is it real? Is it, you know, the video itself is... Well, it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't in it. You can sort of tell some of it and other parts you can't. I'll show you a little bit of it. I can't really run it because it's going to be totally copyrighted. I did put a link in the description so you can bring this thing up. I'm going to mute this. So if you want to hear the song, I'm sorry, I'm not going to play it because... It's um, it's going to get us a copyright strike, but I'm making you aware of it. You can follow the link and, and you can listen to the to the music on your own time in your own way. And I mean, look at this. Like, is that John Lennon actually there with them or what? It this is AI, folks, and it looks freaking real as hell. And so I would say, you know, McCartney, older, real, star, real. And there's George Harrison, AI, or like an image from the past that they have using the best quality technology available. They've inserted old footage, isolated him. And the same with John Lennon on the other side. It's amazing. And you see, this is new stuff, images of them recording. 
And there's, again, McCartney and McCartney. New McCartney, old McCartney, current McCartney. Or the old McCartney is today's McCartney because he's that's the new stuff. And the old stuff is the young McCartney. And then there's George Harrison, all in the one image. Very, very interesting. You know, is time travel possible? Mm -hmm. And look at the motion blurs there and everything. As Lennon moves, you get the still, still images here. You can sort of tell that some of the movements and things are not appropriate. So you can tell in the video, this is a sort of a mini documentary that they produced to go with this release of the song. And uh, you can you can you can sort of tell what's real and what isn't in a lot of the instances. But man, it is so good. And I think this is actually kind of scary, especially when you start talking about politics. You just don't know what's real anymore. Like, are those guys real behind him or fake? Well, they're real, I think. Or is it just totally computer generated? Wow. Look at what we've come to in 2023. And how are you going to have free will? How are you, how do you, how are you going to make good decisions moving forward into the future? If they give you a completely fake president, you know, people freak out over this QAnon stuff and they accuse people, the you know, QAnon people of, being nuts and yet today because of this stuff i don't know if any of us can actually sit here and say that we know for sure that anything we're watching is actually true and they keep saying things like you we're just watching a movie maybe we largely are how is and how do we know that any of this stuff that we're even seeing about the war is even true any of it maybe everything is just a movie maybe not I hope not. I think, I think I'm still pretty grounded and I think I'm able to sift through most of this stuff and not get tricked too much, but we're all being tricked to some degree and we're all being manipulated all the time. I think there is no question about that. Let me see what else do we have to talk about before we go to the phones tonight. I think we've just about covered all the major bases. Yeah. I think we got through the major stuff, folks. There's some other stuff that I do want to talk about, but it'll keep for, until tomorrow. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll take a couple of calls. we got to wrap up the calls, though, by 9, I think. Because then we're going to go and pick up this. Uh, and we're going to pick up the show with uh, Lori, the Strange Bedfellows, at 9 p.m. So we'll run this, come back on the other side. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. All right, we are ready to rock and roll. I'm going to run the promo so you know the number to call. Here we go. Join the conversation. Call 1-833-975-3733. That's 1-833-975-FREE. Speak up. Speak out. Make your voice heard. Maverick News. Fighting for freedom by defending your right to free speech. Be a Maverick. Join us. Okay, fellow Mavericks, you can call in to the show at 1-833-975-3733. That's 1-833-975-3733. 1-833-975-FREE. To join the conversation, time, 8.35 p.m. Eastern time is where we're at right now. We can talk about anything you want. It would be great to have some new callers call in. We can do that. Um, And we'll wait for the uh, first calls to start coming in tonight. And just a reminder that you can support the program and help pay for these phone lines by donating at freedomreporters.com, which is scrolling on the bottom of the screen there. I just noticed that I had that thing running. Okay, so you can do that. What else is going on tonight? Um, RFK Jr. <clears throat> Getting pretty negative mainstream media attention again right now because they're saying that he is coming home to his anti-vaccine group and commits to a break for U.S. infectious disease research. He says, they say in this NBC headline tonight that RFK Jr. has suggested without evidence that researchers and pharmaceutical companies are driven by profit to neglect chronic conditions. So he was, I guess this is at an anti-vaccine conference in Georgia yesterday, and he confirmed his commitment at that conference to the cause and spoke to his base, it says, in this report about he as president would serve the movement he built. So, of course, the 
phrasing, the language. Very anti-RFK Jr. because they're trying to paint him as something of a conspiracy theorist, which is in itself a form of propaganda, bias. And you saw in that or heard in that old radio report, even from the CBC, about the Dresden bombings, the bombing campaign. Did you listen to the way the scripts were phrased? Very anti-German, anti-Nazi, designed to make people at home back in Canada feel like real progress was being made on the battlefront. And usually when you hear that kind of rhetoric, you know that somebody's got a real serious bias one way or another. Okay, we've got our first caller up uh, tonight. And I'll tell you this, like I, there seems to be some bias in what I'm saying too about, um, you know, with Kevin Michalizzi about, you know, positivity, because it looks like progress is being made on the war in Ukraine. But that's because I want people to stop killing each other. So I'd really like to see peace. I'm hoping that the thing comes to an end before more people die in a war that I think is inevitably going to result in the law in, in Ukraine losing. I think the earlier it comes to an end, the better it'll be for Ukraine, even if they lose. And if they lose territory, just better to end it, end this thing. But that's my position on it. Um, okay, first caller up. Let's see who we have. Hello, go ahead. You're on the air. Hi there, it's Chris. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you tonight? Good. I, I'll keep it brief because I know you said only 10 o'clock. So um, I just wanted to let you know that do you ever watch W5? I haven't watched W5 in years, but, you know, sometimes they do some pretty okay. good work. Sometimes okay, not. well, last night there was a show on and they were talking about um, all the penal, uh, all the, the misinformation going around and all this kind of stuff about how the truth needs to come out. And I think if you can find it, you should watch it because I think you'd be really interested in it. Okay. And right. um, what else? Oh, and that Gordon produced a, vi a video today. He was walking around Ottawa and uh, mm -hmm. just knocking down the police and the the government like just big time on this video. It's like yeah. they have nothing better to do, apparently. And he yeah, said, he's, I didn't know. I, did, I, I didn't know he was still up there, but okay. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I guess it was a uh, a friend of mine had shared it with me that that this video, and they were walking. There wasn't very many people in Ottawa. There's a lot of uh, Palestinian flags, and you know, a lot of other little protests going on. And I guess there was a big one in Toronto today too. Palestinian. From what I understand, a big pal Yeah, pal I think so. Protest, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear it was quite large. So yeah. not as large as that one you just showed us on the air, though. Tonight, that was massive. Huge. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm peering like all kinds coming of out of every corner. Big, huge. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the things that's going on—I don't know if you've heard it or not—so people, the Israels, are putting up posters about you know, family that's been kidnapped and stuff. And then the Palestinian people are going up and attacking the Israel people because you're putting up these, these posters. And that's happening a lot here in Edmonton. Uh, 
You said they're putting up posters so, for missing relatives? Yeah. In, in, but they're doing it here in Canada. Yeah, missing relatives, like missing relatives or pe- like the people that have been that have been kidnapped from from Gaza, right? Yeah. yeah. From the by the Hamas. Well, I think that they were, were taken from, from Israel. Israel. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. And then <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so they're putting in on and then they're putting up posters of everyone that's been kidnapped, right? And then the Palestinian people are coming in behind them and ripping them down and they're attacking the, these people, putting them up. And it's like, it's getting really dangerous out there. <laughs> it's just unbelievable what what's going on. Like yeah. these people just are all over the place. Can you think I, of a time, I'm, I'm Chris? Why Canada has that many. Yeah. Can you think of a time? Pardon? Uh, can you think of a time in your lifetime or any time in, in, the, in Canada's past when you've seen anything like this? Never. Me either. Never. I can't. You have to excuse me. I think I'm getting a bit of a cold. But um, yeah, yeah I in my life, I've never experienced anything like this. And, you know, this Remembrance Day saying no prayers in that. Like, I'm sorry, but these people come over here. If you don't like our culture, go back to your own country. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but we're remembering for a reason. And taking the prayers out, like, I mean, seriously, Trudeau has to go. He just, he's got to go. This can't go on any longer. Like every freedom is getting taken away from us mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And I'm seeing, and I'm seeing more and more people are getting more and more frustrated daily. Well, you like know, I, I'm really concerned eventually. Yeah, there, there's a ton of pushback out there. You've seen even just in the last, what, couple of days yesterday, I think, the Saskatchewan government saying they're not going to collect the carbon tax. They're refusing yeah. to do it. So even other, you know, provincial governments are pushing back against Trudeau. The Alberta provincial government pushing yeah. back against Trudeau. So it's not just the people on the street, the average person, right. it's actual government pushback against the government. It's provincial governments pushing back against Trudeau. It's people now within the liberal government itself, within the party, yeah. pushing back against Trudeau. They're they're ready to get rid of them. And uh, you know, I've been telling you guys yeah, that well, for the past good. week or so. Right. So it's yeah, coming. and that's and that and that's a good thing because you know what you can't. That that's really not fair. Like what four hundred homes maybe in Atlantic Canada, maybe six hundred are oil heated, so yeah. they're all going to get breaks, and the rest of Canada doesn't. Yeah. So <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. But anyways, I won't keep you long because I know that you have you want to get off and on. But I just wanted to tell you about if you have a chance to watch W five from last night, yeah. and if you have a chance to watch that video of Gordon, sure. If you go on to his. Yeah, All right, Rick, you have a good night. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, okay, Christia. And here's Bill Picard. Pickard? Pickard? All right, Rick, you have a good night. We'll talk to you later. Hello, okay, Bill. Bye. How are you tonight? Okay. Here's Bill Picard. I'm right, good Rick, tonight. Good night. We'll talk to you later. Are you with me, Rick? I am. You maybe want to just mute your audio there so that I'm you don't get the... Uh, yeah, I'll try to... Uh, I am. You maybe want to just mute... There, now we're on the same wavelength. There we go. Okay, what I was, what I liked, uh, just been watching tonight, and you pointed out something that should be quite obvious to people: mm-hmm. these massive rallies being held with thousands of Palestinian flags. Where in the heck they come from? I kind of wonder. Mm-hmm. But you pointed out the uh, professional nature of the signs, yeah. and uh, your observation that these are not random signs made up by random people. Quite obviously, there's somebody 
organizing and paying for uh, these massive rallies in support of Palestine. Yep. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know I was impressed uh, with your observation. Most people would pay no attention to that, but I see a sea of flags, and where the heck all these flags come from? All of a sudden, yep. just out of the blue, thousands of them. Christ, we can't get milk on the counters by the thousands, let alone flags from Palestine. Yeah. And if you're not aware, uh, I met you in Chatham at the Million People March. So that's who I am. So I have had the good fortune to meet you personally. Keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate that. Uh, I'll let you go with that, okay? Okay. All right. Look uh, forward to the next time you call in. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Rick. All right. Take okay. care, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, next time you call in. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Isabel. Okay. Thanks, Rick. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, next time you call in. Thank you. Hello, Isabel. How are you tonight? Oh, not too bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Every day it's it's something new, right? Like, if they don't have you going with one thing, they got you going with another. But I will agree with your last caller. Mm -hmm. And with is it Sandy? I mean, if they don't like our customs, they don't have to follow our customs, but they can leave us alone and let us have ours. Why do we have to change? That would be called tolerance, wouldn't it? Yeah, and we need to get back to tolerance where we tolerate each other so that we're not at each other's throats. Yeah. 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 And I wish he would just disappear. Maybe that barn... He could go live in the barn. <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty nice barn for eight million bucks. Maybe it's uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man! Is that the new immigration um, housing that he's talking about? I'm I'm sorry. Maybe what that's was that? what it is. Maybe it's for the new immigrants that are coming. That's their no, new housing. No, it's not, man. No, that's the thing. It's just <laughs> it's just for to put cars and, and trucks in. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's a it's a big garage to to store crap in it and and some vehicles. Eight million dineros. Isn't that when my my dad used to be a chauffeur for the British High Commissioner, mm -hmm. and they would have um, you know, their cocktail parties and stuff at Government House, and Government House really wasn't much of a place. Um. But now they got this big barn. They're like, hey, maybe it's an Epstein barn. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe that's where he keeps all the Barbie stuff. Could be. Yeah. See, he's a big yeah. Barbie movie fan. So, you know, the truth is slowly <laughs> being revealed about Justin. He was running like Barbie yeah. there in that in that video. Yeah. yeah he's running like Barbie. <laughs> Well, See, he's got kind of Barbie legs, eh? Says, he does. Well, my son said that's because there's nothing between them. Oh, she my. Them. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> they, oh. they must be in Sophie's purse. <laughs> I, I kind of hate to laugh at, at someone's expense over their <laughs> marriage woes, but in his case, we have to make an exception. He I, he When he became prime minister, he kind of has to take, you know, the heat while he's in the kitchen. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. But this remembrance thing, it really has me rattled because my dad was a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And he did come home. And the fact that they're telling us now we cannot have prayer by the chaplains at Remembrance Day. Yeah. That irks me. Like, I don't know if I can keep my mouth shut when we have Remembrance Day, because I live in Glencoe, so we've got like maybe 2,050 people. Yeah. And a lot of the people here are riled. Yeah. Like, different people that I talk to. Like, we just had a um, our Glencoe Christmas market, and I make shadow boxes, and I made a couple of them for Remembrance Day, lest we forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of people came up and said, I got to have one of those. Because I'm sick and tired of the way things are going. They're going to remove the prayer. They're going to try and remove Remembrance Day. Yeah. I said, yeah, that would be a sad day, but he's pushing it. And the more people would hear that conversation, they'd come up and go, yeah, and I'm just not going with that shit. And I'm like, wow, there's more people here than on this side of the fence than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And people are really riled. People are fed up, man, with all of this stuff, and rightly so. I mean, really, yeah. Come on, yeah. You know, look what a what a <laughs> disgrace, what an insult to our veterans. It's it's an insult to the entire country. Yes. These- yes, we pushed the veterans aside. I mean, like I said, my dad was a vet. My bro- older brother is a vet. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. Yes. Like it's really disgusting. And I heard here the other night in Glencoe, um, the uh, Legion, who for a while was not backing and standing up for the vets, I guess they got a new crowd in there now. So they're getting irked. And I think with what's been going on has given them the push to start to stand up for the vets. I see. Which the Legion hasn't done in a while. And I don't belong to the Legion because of that one issue. Yeah. Um. So maybe we'll see a turnaround that 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 the regions are going to start supporting the vets. But I think this is disgraceful. All those people who gave their lives, which they thought was for a good cause, because mm-hmm. they were told it was. If that happens now, what are they going to be dancing? Uh, are they going to be dancing to the front in high heels and rainbows? Or well, that's the way Zelensky has the Ukrainian military operating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard yeah. that. And I heard that it's even uh, disabled people and mentally ill people is what he's scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and look good. Yeah. He's putting these people. Yeah. Well, you heard a disgrace. You heard in that interview with Kevin Michalizzi that there are, you know, yeah. reports out there that they're, actually enlisting people with disabilities yes um, so they have to Who be they a, know won't have a thing. i mean i don't know maybe that's not true i that could that in itself could be you know i'm not saying kevin's a propagandist at all but you know maybe that's information that's flowing through and getting back to people and being taken as truth i i have not seen that i, I didn't i'd still want to confirm it but my god it's pretty clear that we're on the, um, I think in the final phases of whatever is going on in Ukraine, it has to be because you're just not hearing about it anymore. We are. Yeah. It's dwindling. Uh, 
Yeah, it's like oh, it's it's, it's like Taiwan and China. Yeah. They're kind of on the back burner now because of uh, Israel and Palestine. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, they're there, but they're not front and center. It was Ukraine and Russia, then it was Taiwan and China. Now it's Israel and Palestine. So they keep pushing one more, one more. The good news, but I am that, yeah. I, I can I just give you an observation? Saying, yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the positive sign in this is that because they're not talking about Ukraine right now, it shows that they don't want yeah. this to escalate into a third world war. They're going to let that fade away so they can concentrate on this over here instead, I think. So, you know, I'd be yeah. much more worried if they were ramping up or, or keeping the rhetoric going on both of the conflicts, right? But we're not seeing that. So yeah. that gives me pause for hope. Yeah, I'm not... That could be a good thing, yes, because, I mean, nobody wants to see a third world war. Ooh. And and I do see, though, that these printed signs that they've got and, like, any any uprising you see from these conflicts between Palestine and, and Israel, mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of Palestine printed signs and flags. Yep. Like, that, where does that come from? I'll right. I'll tell you, you. I, I'm going to come right out and I'm just going to blatantly say it. These are the same professional protesters or um, habitual or regulars that you see at Black Lives Matters protests. Um, I mean, you name it, the George Floyd protests. It's the same people. It's the Antifa people. It's it's that crowd. It's that group. That's all they do. They just protest. And whatever the latest thing is. They get their marching orders and they get bussed in. They have all these signs made up. They yeah. have political operations. There's a political agenda in play there. It's the same people. Yeah. And and then there's a mix of other people coming in on the other sides, but guaranteed same people. Yes. There's, there's a lot of money going into this and they're collecting it. So this week yeah. you're going to do this and next week you're going to do that. So they troop them in and away they go. Yeah. I mean, because it was busloads going into Washington today. Yep. And so who was paying for the busloads? Hmm. And politics is very strange. Like you can't I, take it all at face value. Sometimes, you know, what you see uh, on the surface, and it's like, well, why are they supporting this? They're actually supporting an opposite outcome, even though it looks like they're doing this over here. Politics is strange that way. You can't think that just because they're saying they want something to be blue and they're fighting for blue that you actually end up getting red. And what the real intention was to get red at the end, even though they say they're fighting for blue. It's bizarre how politics can work that way. So, oh, yeah, it's definitely a hidden agenda. When they got you trooping this way, they got something else coming at the back. Yep. And, And they're ready to just put it in there but i just thought i'd say my say tonight um i appreciate it you keep me grounded as always (laughs) (laughs) thank you i appreciate that you guys keep me grounded too um sometimes (laughs) (laughs) we got each other (laughs) yeah that's right we're all going nuts together (laughs) on the crazy train okay let's move on quickly to leo before we have to wrap up here tonight thank you isabel thank you have a good night okay see ya Okay, my man, you All are right. on air. Ricky Walker. The whole world, well, not the whole world, but I'd say Israel and Palestine are looking for sympathy, Rick. 
and they're not going to get it over here, but I could tell you where you could find sympathy. If you open up the Webster's Dictionary, okay, you and look for the word sympathy, sympathy, you'll find it between the word shit and syphilis. Okay. okay, that's where you'll find sympathy for me. Uh, I watched. Uh, I, I really like this uh, Arab guy. He's, uh, I think his name's Bazzi. He's a journalist, comic, and he's funny as hell. Okay, and he said it right. Okay, uh, Israel was giving out McDonald's to Israelis, the uh, Israeli soldiers, mm-hmm. handing them out McDonald's, free McDonald's for all of them, right? As they're killing Arabs. And the Arabs are getting nothing, right? So, you know, it's pretty sad what's going down. You know, now they don't have any uh, any drinking water. Food's shortage over there. It's a humanitarian crisis, what they created. Yeah. Right? And everybody says, you know, the Jew, the Jew, the word Jew, that's a racist word. Well, my dog, okay, believe it or not, is junior, but I call I call him Jew for short. Okay, and I've been calling him Jew forever. So he comes to me, and it's in my house. It's Jew, come here, Jew. If I say it too loud, Jew's going to come over to me right now and bug me while I'm talking to you. Right? That's my Jew. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know where it's going, and I really don't care at this point. Right? Uh, you know, I have court on uh, Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm going to find out my de- de- my demise. And at this point, really, I don't give a shit if I go to jail or not. I, I might be in a better place if I go to jail. Because mm. when I get out, things should be changed by then, hopefully. I'm losing my fucking marbles over here in Windsor, Ontario. Yeah, you know, well. You see, everybody in, in the one caller said it right. Where are all these flags coming from? Palestinian flags. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. The Canadian government wants to designate uh, the... Uh, Hamas as a terrorist organization, but didn't they do the same thing to the trucker convoy? Didn't they designate us as terrorists? <laughs> so mm, I sorta. don't believe the government whatsoever. Right? Yeah, sorta. Sorta. You know, they uh, in, in 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 the flick of a switch, they were seizing bank accounts and, yeah. and changing people's fucking lives that fast. Yeah. Uh, you got Tamara Lynch and Chris Barber on mischief fucking charges in a criminal court on mischief charges for over three fucking weeks. You got yeah. the the Coots boys fucking locked up in Alberta for six hundred some fucking days. What's going on here? Really? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't have enough information. I'm reserving judgment on all of that stuff because I don't I don't want to commit to something where I don't really know what's going on, and I just don't want to. Well, I could tell you what's know. going on. Let's say that I was a, a politician, and all the embezzlement, and all the corruption, and all the bullshit we're seeing right now. The one thing we aren't seeing is criminal investigations. And if we do see a criminal investigation, it's fucking squatted down, okay? It disappears. It's, it's fucking it's sickening what's going on. The, okay. the, the, the Strange Bellows program, we have to pick that up at 9 p.m. Okay, let's get over now. to Strange Bedfellows. Okay. We'll carry this on another day. You certainly will. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later, my friend. Bye-bye. Okay, hang on a second here, folks. We are going to... Pick this up on the other side. Hang on, I'm getting it queued up for you. I'll be with back with Lori and Kevin Michalizzi right after this. Hello, world. Are you awake?
uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Strange Bedfellows. I'm your host, Lori Spencer, with my co-host, Rick Walker, the one and only uh, from Maverick News. And I'm the strange one. No, I'm <laughs> the strange one. Actually, we're both strange. <laughs> That's why we make strange bedfellows, right? That's right. <laughs> we always have strange people on this show, but a good kind of strange, you know? But we're all pretty strange. Yeah, we're all unique. And, That's a nice uh, way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a great, uh, great guest joining us today. Yes, we do. Our Maverick News correspondent all the way over in Crimea, Russia, or Ukraine, depending on which side of the war you're on, I guess. It's, <laughs> it's disputed territory. And that's kind of the whole part of the topic that we're talking about tonight is disputed territories that lead to world wars. And uh, Kevin's right over there in the thick of it between Russia and Ukraine and that disputed peninsula. And, of course, another disputed peninsula over in the Middle East is blowing up. And, uh, you know, Rick, since the attacks October 7th on Israel by the Hamas terrorists, man, it's been almost a month ago now. Wow. A month ago yeah. this week. Wow. Yeah. What a month it's been. Um, and all the resulting carnage that we've witnessed since um, with all these Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. Um, the topic of the show tonight is, you know, we're seeing an alarming rise in anti-Jewish sentiment all around the world. And the title of tonight's show, episode 19, is Never Again? Question mark. Anti-Semitism rising. And, you know, there have been reports of, well, we've seen it. We've seen all these uh, pro-Hamas or pro-Palestine demonstrations. We've seen synagogues around the world being defaced with swastikas and mm -hmm. all kinds of anti-Jewish hate posted online. If you're on social media at all, you can't miss it. And something else you can't miss if you're really paying attention is that neo-Nazis White supremacists have been contributing to all this anti-Semitic chatter online. And oftentimes you hear the same rhetoric that you hear from Hamas. It's like they're in complete agreement with one another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even right now, even people who don't even care about the plight of the Palestinian people feel emboldened right now to just openly express their hatred of Jews. And uh, it's not just in the United States. We've been talking about it all week on Maverick News up in Canada. You've got that new Nazi party in Canada. Um, yep. Tell our viewers just a brief version of what our week has been like at Maverick News, if they haven't been watching. Well, it's something that we've been following closely for at least the last eight months or so, mm -hmm. maybe longer. 
it's a First Nations-based anti-Semitic ethno-nationalist political movement that is poised to become a national party. They're filing paperwork to do that. It's going to be called the Thunderbird Nationalist or Naturalist Party. Mm-hmm. It uh, the, the ideology is inspired by, rooted in uh, the same ideology that that we saw, that we witnessed in World War II with Nazi Germany. In fact, the founder, Adrian the Realist. Um, Adrian the Fascist is what yeah, I call him. Yeah, little Adolf. Little Adolf. Um, he, uh, you know, he's he's made very specific references in various social media posts and interviews uh, to Hitler, to, you know, to the... To the ideology, he uh, he absolutely has made it clear that he does not like Jews. He said so right on this program. I think the second time we had him on, and I've had him on multiple times, not because I want to promote anything that he's doing, but because he is getting some traction, enough that it is absolutely uh, something we need to be concerned about. So we've exposed it mm-hmm. um, because it is accelerating. Yeah, we interviewed him on Halloween, which I thought was very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> the booking yeah. time just worked out perfectly. Yeah. I mean, that's the scariest thing I can think of. It's complex. Uh, you know, it's a complex thing because what I'm seeing is it's it's anti-Semitism, but in, in a very Western, what well, it's not a Western thing. It's a global thing. Anti-Semitism is not necessarily just about the Jews, uh, it's it's more complex than that. It's a it's a postmodern phenomenon um, that uh, in its postmodernism, uh, and 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 so you're you, they've been working up to this, Laurie. You you if you look at mm-hmm. the narratives that uh, have been playing out over the last, especially three years, accelerated because of the oppression that came with the pandemic right you know the twisted uh disguised language or the language used to disguise the anti-semitism is now being displayed in a more blatant obvious un unmasked way i'll say and it's taking all these new twists and turns that that there is no historical precedent for like for example, the new Thunderbird Nationalist Party there with the First Nations get being involved. I mean, this isn't the usual suspects. Usually you would expect white supremacists, right? Um, you would. These because, are Native American Nazis. I mean, that's a new one on me. It Perhaps, but it, it makes absolute sense because people need to understand that prejudice and bigotry is not isolated to a single ethnicity it's 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 prejudice prejudging and it's about um favoring your tribe if you mm-hmm. will and i don't mean that in a in a first nations way specifically i mean whatever tribe you may belong to even globally so it's um it, it's it's we'll we'll get into it more on the broadcast it's uh it absolutely makes sense though when you really kind of dig down into it uh, mm. because it's anti-semitism is rooted in prejudice and bigotry and hate um 
and and what you you see too is the same motivating factors that come with the desire to liberate it's a even those things emotionally and ideologically you're walking a fine line there because as you try to liberate those same motivations can take you to a very dark place where you end up oppressing so this is why you end up with these uh people with who are have good intentions to begin with but their ideology leads them into the abyss it's it's mm. it's a complex psychological and ideological thing but we're witnessing that right now and even though you've been working this story here at Maverick News and following Adrian and and the origins of this Thunderbird party for several months it's taken kind of a new twist and it's echoing what we're hearing coming out of the Middle East and what you hear from Hamas. Uh, they talk about their stolen land and they're going to reclaim it. And yeah. Colonialism. It's, yes. It's, it's yeah. postmodernism, postmodernist um, political ideological theory, critical race theory. It's, it's these things converging <clears throat> And, uh, you know, it, it plays into this globalist agenda, but it's anti-colonialism and, uh, and, and then different political powers, different countries, they latch onto this, they exploit it, they capitalize on it to further their interests politically around the globe, whether it's Russia, the United States, China, India, Australia, it doesn't matter. They're all involved in it, but uh, there, there is ab absolutely choreography that's going on here, and that's why these things are converging right now. And you can see that this, if you boil it right down, it's the same issues in Israel-Palestine that are playing out, that are playing out right here in Canada exactly. between First Nations, the government, the settlers. It mm -hmm. really boils right down to the exact same issues. Or even if you go to Barbados, where they decided to decouple from the monarchy. So right. these things all are interconnected, and it all goes back through history, uh, where, where the roots of all this started with, you know, uh, Christopher Columbus coming over. So it's it, it goes back that far and it's all intertwined. We are all on stolen land. That's the uh, that's the bottom line. And, you know, even, over um, the, uh, sorry, I was going to say yesterday. I'm sorry. Even Hamas yesterday says that Spain is stolen land. And now we have to give back Spain. <laughs> where, where, the, wow. where the where are the people supposed to go? There won't be any room for any humans. Where at does all it anymore. stop? Yeah, where does it stop? And yeah. just over the weekend, <clears throat> there was that pro-Palestinian mob, you know, shouting anti-Semitic slogans and demanding to know where the Jews were storming in the airport, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, Dagestan, which is a mostly Muslim republic of, you know, and tonight. So I wanted to bring on Strange Bedfellows, our, our Maverick News correspondent over there in Russia, over in Crimea, Kevin Michalitsi. Uh, he's an American <clears throat> living on a disputed tract of land currently being fought over between Russia and Ukraine. And, and I want to discuss, you know, the reason that Israel was created in the first place in 1948. We, we've got some history to talk about tonight, folks. We're going to talk about the history of the Jews in Ukraine, in Poland, in the former USSR the pogroms that led to the Holocaust and the collaboration of the Arabs and the Palestinians with the Nazis in World War II. Uh, Kevin will also give us more details on the aftermath of the Dagestan riot, uh, Putin's expression of support for the people in Palestine, 
And also he's going to address some of these Western allegations of anti-Semitism in Russia today. You know, you hear a lot about the Nazis in Ukraine, um, but there is some some Nazism in Russia as well. We'll find out if that's over-exaggerated propaganda from the West or if there's some truth to it. And, uh, you know, this week, November 9th, will mark the, uh, it's been going on for 30 years now, since the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, the International Day Against Fascism and Anti-Semitism. It's an annual event every year on November 9th, honoring the victims of the Kristallnacht Nazi pogrom of 1938, and more broadly, victims of the Holocaust and fascism throughout history, everywhere. So tonight, we hope to raise awareness about the dangers of nationalism, racism, anti-Semitism, and neo-Nazism today, because they're saying the quiet part out loud now, and we all know where that leads. So I'd like to bring in our guest from Russia, beautiful Russia, where it's in the afternoon over there, I believe. Hey, Kevin. It is. Hey, Good Rick. Hey, Lori. So, Welcome hey, back. you know, I thanks. You know, Rick was talking about the First Nations people. I wonder if they realize that they stole land, too. Um, you know, the original inhabitants of Canada actually crossed the land bridge from Russia. They were the Chukchuk uh, Indians. So, right. So how far back do you go in history before you determine <laughs> who stole what from whom? You know, actually, you you just hit on exactly the thing I wanted to share with people. So I'm, I was going to do it later, but I'll do it right now. We'll only take a moment. Okay. All of these arguments about who is here first, it, it's all a bunch of who bunch is of malarkey, here. man. Okay. Because, I mean, look at this. All right. Just look at this. The world is just a big jigsaw puzzle. Let's go back, say, 160 million or 200 million years. Right. And, uh, you know, every everything was connected. All that land was stolen from somebody somewhere sometime, then stolen by the next guys who stole it from those guys. Or maybe just uh, <laughs> to the, maybe the point is that we were all, we're all just on the land. And it was all one big ma land mass at one point that split apart. And then it drifted apart because of tectonic shifts. That's so right. uh, how far back you want to go? Hmm. We're point. all human beings. 190 million years, Rick. 190 million years. Okay. Yeah. I, I 10 million go years before your picture starts. Um, well, you know, strange bedfellows. You know, we just since it's a Saturday show, Saturday night, we kind of like to catch you up on the news of the week. And boy, it's been an eventful week. Uh, there's been so much going on. Um, uh, when we're talking about the rise of anti-Semitism, we see it really exploding over in Europe, which for students of history like me is pretty scary, um, especially when you see it happening in places like. Vienna, Austria, yikes. 
Take a look at As this, guys. To follow the breaking news out of the Middle East, you are looking at live pictures of a group gathered in Ramallah after Friday prayers. There have been a series of significant protests over the course of the last several weeks. We will continue to monitor what's happening here as well. At the same time, there has been a significant increase of anti-Semitic acts in both the United States and around the world since that October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel. FBI Director Chris Ray said this week that anti-Semitism is reaching, quote, historic levels in the U.S. In Austria, the Jewish community has been targeted in an incident that carries disturbing reminders of the past. CNN's Frederick Fleckton joins us now from Vienna. Fred, uh, reading about this, this cemetery holds extra significance for Jews in the area. The room where you stand was actually mm. burned down last in 1938 by the Nazis. Yeah, it certainly was, and it's definitely something that's extremely troubling to the Jewish community here in Austria, and specifically, of course, here in Vienna. You can look around. I'm actually inside that ceremonial hall that was set on fire. You can see that the windows there that have been destroyed to then uh, obviously put fire here into uh, the room, that those have been sort of patched up a little bit. But everything that was inside, including very valuable scriptures for the Jewish community here in Vienna, was destroyed. This is an incident that happened here in Vienna, but it's also part of what uh, many Jews in Europe are seeing as a huge, steep rise in anti-Semitic incidents that has a lot of folks here on the continent very worried. Here's what we're seeing. Valuable Torah scrolls and prayer books reduced to ashes. After an arson attack on this ceremonial hall on the Jewish part of Vienna's main cemetery. The last time this very hall was set on fire was almost to the day 85 years ago by the Nazis on Kristallnacht, Chief Rabbi Yaron Engelmeyer tells me. How big is, is the damage, not just, not just in terms of obviously the room itself, but, but, but spiritually for you, for the, for the Jewish community here? I think it takes us back to times where the books were burned and uh, it is an attack on the spiritual uh, values um, of the religion and of humanity which uh, happened here. A swastika on the outer wall leaves few questions about the anti-Semitic nature of the attack. It should worry us, all of the uh, people in the free world, um, about what's going on in the streets right now, and anti-Semitic uh, attacks are just the top of the uh, what's going on. Since Hamas's October 7th attack on southern Israel, murdering more than 1,400 people and kidnapping hundreds. And Israel's military response in Gaza, which has also caused many casualties. Anti-Semitic incidents have skyrocketed by about 300% in Austria, the head of Vienna's Jewish community tells me. We are anxious. We are, uh, people are thinking about their life. Uh, the, the first thinking is, is Jewish life possible in Austria? The second thinking is, is Jewish life possible in Europe or in the world? With pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel demos sweeping across the continent, Jewish groups say anti-Semitism is not only getting more prevalent, but uglier. From plastering stars of David on Jewish homes in Paris to a Molotov cocktail attack on one of the main synagogues in Berlin, and near-daily assaults and insults in various European countries. And then we've seen evidence of Today, just hours after the cemetery attack, Vienna's Jewish community hosted Israelis whose relatives were killed or kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th. 
was cousin. Vital Yashurin's family, four murdered, seven kidnapped. Tal lives in Europe, but while he's publicly advocating for the hostages in everyday life, he feels he has to hide his Jewish identity. Not to be associated with anything written in Hebrew, not to speak Hebrew, um, not to go to places where considered Jewish, like a synagogue or things like that. While many European leaders have come out strongly against the rising tide of anti-Semitism, the head of the European Jewish Association says it's not enough. We know exactly when we are in dangerous, and we are now in dangerous. European leaders, we need you right now to act. Never again is now, not tomorrow, not next week, is now. But as much as there is fear, there's also a sense of defiance. Rabbi Engelmeyer himself painting over the Nazi slurs on the cemetery wall, eager to show his Jewish community will not be intimidated by anti-Semitic attacks. And you know, Phil, the uh, Jewish community here in Vienna certainly got a boost also last night um, when there was a sea of light memorial that took place where thousands of people uh, showed up to show solidarity with Israel, but of course, first and foremost, also with the hostages that are still being held by Hamas, guys. Really important story. Fred Plaikin, thank you. Can you even imagine being Jewish at that cemetery that's been burned down before on Kristallnacht, burned down again, and having to paint over the swastikas but painted look, on the look, wall. Look, look, there's a, there's a problem here, right? Because you just ran a CNN report, which is mainstream media, and you can't trust the mainstream media, and the mainstream media is owned by the elites, and who is the elites? The elites are... Who controls the, the media? Jews. So you just ran a bunch of Jewish propaganda anyway, so no one's going to believe what you just told them. You know, the guy who was talking about, you know, not wanting to look Jewish, um, I've got some friends in the UK where at work they were told, do not dress like Jews, do not talk like Jews, do not give anybody the um, idea that you're Jewish at all. So... In Crimea? No, UK. In the UK. Yeah. It's a problem everywhere. And speaking of the UK, I wanted to show you, Kevin, uh, how the British are covering the report of the riot at the airport in Dagestan this week. <laughs> uh, of course, this is how they would spin it. I did bring some mainstream media reports so that we can pick them apart so that our viewers can evaluate all the various types of propaganda that we're seeing in different parts of the world, right? We ju you just saw how the American media is reporting it. That's CNN uh, out of their okay, bureau. But, but before you show this one, yeah, let's point out that also sometimes mainstream media gets it right. Well, yes. Propaganda is about truth with a little bit of falsity in it. So a lot of what was in that report was correct. Of That's course. Right. It, right. it happened, just, folks. They're not making it up, but it, it right. happened. You know, and they do but have some the, decent reporters in their bureaus. Things are discredited, right? It's just like um I thought the guy did a pretty good job. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. It's a solid report. Um, we'll see what you think of this one. This is uh, Britain's channel four. 
The social media mob went all real world in Dagestan yesterday evening. A crowd of hundreds stormed the airport in the capital city, Mahachkala, at around 7 p.m. A plane was arriving from Tel Aviv. Unsubstantiated rumors amplified on telegram channels said that there were Jewish refugees on board fleeing the war in the Middle East. The mob was headed for that plane, now sitting on the runway. The Russian Republic of Dagestan is majority Muslim, has no recent history of extreme displays of anti-Semitism though, at least nothing like this. The crowd first got through into the airport concourse, marauding through security. Their intent was clear from the chanting. They were looking for Jewish people. Frightened airport staff were heard saying there's no one here. The mob heads out onto the runway. Terrified passengers on a plane watch the crowd arrive. The pilot makes an announcement. There's an angry mob outside, he says, trying to figure out where we've come from. It's likely we might get hurt. Don't try to open the doors. The crowd eventually focus on this plane, believing it's the one that's arrived from Tel Aviv. A technician on the ground is asked, are the people on board Russian or Jewish? They interrogate others, asked to see passports. Eventually, security services arrive and start arresting people. Dagestan is one of the Russian republics. It's situated between the Black Sea and the Caspian, shares borders with Georgia and Azerbaijan. It's majority Muslim, but ethnically diverse, has a tiny Jewish population. Today, Vladimir Putin said the incident was orchestrated by the West and Ukraine, aimed at undermining the unity of the Russian Federation. There is another perspective, though. As with many of the poorer Russian republics, Dagestan is feeling the squeeze economically and is sending thousands of soldiers into what's becoming, for so many young men, the killing fields of Ukraine. So all these factors, I think, uh, are causing the Russian government to try and deflect attention from that problem to they would rather create a divisive uh, divide and rule situation rather than have some sort of unification amongst the different ethnic groups against Moscow. So I think this we're entering quite a dangerous phase in North Caucasus, where it's not just in Dagestan, remember, there was also in Kabardino-Balkaria attacks on the Jewish center in the capital. And again, uh, I do believe this was engineered by the FSB to try and deflect attention from a gr growing movement of Circassian nationalism in the North Caucasus. Were there ulterior motives behind last night's rampage is one question. If you were Jewish, running the gauntlet of the mob as you left the airport, here's another question. What would they have done if they'd found me? Oh, wow. Orchestrated by the FSB? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kevin, you, you, they're blaming each other, of course, right? 
Russia's of blaming course. Ukrainian intelligence and and they're blaming Russian intelligence. What's your take? You're there on the ground in Russia. Tell us. Well, first, let me correct what Putin said in the video that they showed. Um, what he was saying at that time was, um, I have to ask a question. Is it possible to help Palestine by attacking people? Um, he went on and said, after the Hamas attack, Israel has the right to protection. But he called for a solution to the Palestine-Israeli uh, conflict through peaceful negotiations. So they respun what he actually said. Um, of course they did. You know, you know, yes, there was a mob. You know, it's always a mob. Um, they estimate there were 500 people there, uh, plus or minus. Looks And bad. yeah. Now, it's the same as with the hotel. Same 500 guys. So um, this there was a rally that morning uh, that was coordinated by this telegram channel, Morning Dagestan, in support of Palestine. It was held in uh, Cherkesk. And... Uh, they were, you know, call them what you want. They were, you know, mad uh, Muslims. They were, uh, you know, SBU agents, whatever. Um, this particular telegram channel and three others have actually been traced back to the SBU in uh, Ukraine. Rick asked me this the other night. How do we know that that's the case? Um, we actually have Zelensky, and let me find his statement on this. Um, I pulled these all out. Um, oh, yeah, this Telegram channel, yes, you were correct earlier when we talked. It was taken off of Telegram, but it's reappeared under a different name, mm -hmm. and uh, they are requiring people to sign up before they will let you in to see what they're talking about. So they're trying to prevent uh, like the FSB from seeing what's being said there. It Do doesn't you happen work. to know the, the new name of the new Telegram channel? I do, but I'm not going to help people out by pointing them at it. I got you. So okay. um, we had that one. Uh, it currently has brand new 26,251 subscribers as of about a half hour ago. Um, there's another one with a guy who almost sort of kind of looks like he's Muslim, except he's, you know, wearing a ski cap, uh, not the kind of attire they would normally wear. Uh, and it's calling for violence. And, um, these channels are actually being pulled down. Now, By we have a... Who's pulling them down? Any idea? Apple, Google, Telegram, um, and the FSB is active in identifying these and reporting them. I see. So um, we have a blogger who is actually... His name is Panamarev. And he's a foreign agent, 
and he was the owner of this morning Dagestan channel. And uh, he had a telephone conversation that was recorded with Aristovich in Ukraine and admitted the fact of coordinating the protest movements at the airport through the telegram channels with the money that he was provided by Arestovich mm. in Ukraine. Um, that's our money, most likely. Yeah, that's, that's our money. It's your money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it says, this is how they are. First, the brothers come out and give the gas, and then they laugh at us. The provocateur who crippled dozens of Dagestani lives. This was the comment by a reader. It was actually one of his readers who exposed him on this. So um, the prosecutor general's office, Kim and another uh, blogger, they're actually, they've filed criminal charges against them uh, according to the Russian Federation uh, criminal code against uh, you know, extremist activities. Um, Zelensky. Zelensky made a statement through Mikhail Podolyak, one of his spokesmen. And he has said that he has a strategy for defeating Russia. And, you know, there's the typical, we're going to have a series of defeats on the battlefield, uh, the collapse of the Russian defense ministry, um, unauthorized return of military personnel to Russia after they have failures at the front. But the big one is massive internal unrest within Russia. And this is what Russians in general are viewing this as. This is Maidan 2023. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we have a small, a relatively small group of extremists being turned up by money from the SBU instead of the CIA in Ukraine in 2014. So you get these few people who stir up a, a group of, like you say, the, the nationalists or, you know, people who are willing to go along with the crowd and causing these problems. And this is what Russians view this as. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, like you say, the way it's being spun by you know, Ukraine, by the Western media, especially this week. They've been saying it for several years now and saying it a lot more since the war began, is they find a few Nazis or extremists in Russia. And then they have counter-propaganda when the Russians talk about Ukraine's obvious Nazi problem. Uh, they say, well, yeah, but they got... They got Nazis in Russia, too. They say that Russia has an anti-Semitism problem. I'm going to show you a clip here from Ukrainian television, uh, UATV. It's in English. Um, and it's, you know, obviously it's in English. So it's designed for oh. to impress a Western audience. A Zelensky channel, by the way. Yeah, it sure is. It's run by the Ukrainian government. Uh, so this is what they have to say about Big bad Russia. Anti-Semitism and racism are increasingly echoing in the hearts of Russians. From bold slogans we can repeat to manipulations on the subject of victory in World War II. And from the beginning of a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, some Russians moved on to undisguised calls for the destruction of entire states. 
Ukraine will become a secondary state that won't take part in anything, and we will take this land for ourselves. This Nazi carrion, you ask what we will do with them, destroy, and we won't ask everything that has to do with it. We didn't finish them off in World War II, we'll finish them off now. It needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. Whom, Ukraine? Yes. Why is it needed? What for? Poland, simply to the heap. The imperial ambitions of the Russians are fueled not only by propagandists on federal channels. They have been demonstrating military maps of the offensive against Europe for a long time and promising to incinerate it with a nuclear strike. Anti-Semitic and racist sentiments are also being voiced by the country's top leadership. A statement by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov about Hitler's alleged Jewish roots shocked the Israeli government. This is how he answered a question from a TV presenter of the Italian media about how President Volodymyr Zelensky could be a Nazi if he is a Jew. Israel is already demanding a public apology from Lavrov. Well, I think that Hitler also had Jewish origins. So it means nothing for a long time. Now we've been hearing the wise Jewish people say that the biggest anti-Semites are the Jews themselves. As we say, the family has its black sheep. However, one should not expect denials from the mouth of Lavrov, experts say. After the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Russia's aggressive policy has reached its peak. The official Kremlin is no longer shy in expressions and shows its true face. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation explained on its website and posted an announcement on social networks that literally says they paid attention to the anti-historical statement of Israeli Foreign Minister Wapid. There is such a minister. This is their official stance. It was announced that yesterday the Israeli Foreign Ministry summoned the Russian ambassador. Apparently, he was presented with a note and publicly we heard that they offered Lavrov to apologize, to take his words back into his mouth, but we haven't had anything of the sort. Therefore, I do not see a reservation in this, not an accidental exaggeration. I think this is a change in Moscow's position. Some experts attribute such rhetoric to Russia's potential loss in the war against Ukraine. Allegedly, realizing its helplessness, the Kremlin is trying to keep its face, at least in front of an internal audience. They are well aware that they are losing the war, and to create this aura that the whole world is against us and we are the only righteous people in this world. Obviously, this is a part of this technology. Everything else is irrationality. Because if Russia had sought rationally its leadership, they would not have started a war with Ukraine. Why are there so many people in Russia who want to exterminate enemies and use nuclear weapons against thousands of civilians? These are the consequences of decades of Putin regime's propaganda, experts explain. Almost a quarter of a century of this darkness of Putin's obscurantism and propaganda and everything that accompanies it, because Russia in its current form is a rigid authoritarian system with totalitarian elements. That is, it could be described as totalitarian, but there are still some freedoms that have not been yet taken away, like freedom of access to the Internet, freedom of entry and exit. It is limited for obvious reasons, but it still theoretically exists. As soon as they cancel it, it will be a complete totalitarian system. But as far as information and propaganda are concerned, it was an absolute lack of freedom all quarter of a century. After the end of the war directly on the battlefield, it will take more than a decade to treat Russians from propaganda, experts say.
An example of the aftermath of World War II started by Hitler's Germany showed that the aggressor had been washing away traces of genocide and the murders of entire nations for generations. The first treatment is our victory. The second step that should be taken is a so-called denazification. What Russia wanted to apply to Ukraine should be applied to their regime. Accordingly, this should be done through international tribunals. The regime itself has been condemned at the political level at the legislative level in the Russian Federation. This sin must also be condemned. This will be a very long process. And of course, as experts say, it will be necessary to get rid of the symbols of this war. Among them is the notorious letter Z, used today by Russians propagandists. Reported by Marina Stepanenko, Larissa Zubenko, UATV News. Well, Kevin, what do you think about that? Is that the pot calling the kettle black or or is there something to it's, these allegations? You tell me. You live there. Well, Elinsky won't be able to go to the oo because there won't be a letter anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Rick and I talked about this uh, a few nights ago. Um, you know, yes, there's propaganda on all sides of the fence. It's an information so, war, like your channel says. It's an information war. And, um, you know, the only thing I can say about it is living here and dealing with it here. I see that if you compare the level of propaganda that Russia produces compared to the amount of propaganda that the United States and the rest of the West produces. The United States is king in propaganda, have been for years. We're number this, one. We're that's number right. One. You're number one. Um, you, the Ukraine war was the most propagandized uh, operation in a long time. That was until Gaza and Israel came up. That is even worse. The propaganda that is out there for that conflict is much, much worse. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, the Ukrainians are, it's a Ukrainian TV, and they're putting it out there for the Ukrainian people to keep them behind their special military operation. Of course. Yet, you have, and I don't remember which guy it was, one of their heads of their military said just a couple of days ago that they have no chance to win this conflict with Russia, that it's time to start negotiating. But, you know, the Ukrainian government has puppet masters and they aren't getting the, you know, the amount of attention that they were getting before Israel. Um, you know, there was a comment that came out, uh, oh, gee, seven o'clock this morning that there's concern amongst the u.s and european officials that the special military operation they used war has reached a stalemate and there is no ability to continue providing aid to ukraine the biden administration is also worried that ukraine is running out of forces while russia has a seemingly endless supply ukraine is also struggling with recruiting and has recently seen public protests about some of Zelensky's open-ended conscription requirements. Now, these are the things you are not going to hear on a Ukrainian television channel. We have a lot of friends there, 
and they do not hear these things. Everything they hear is how well the uh, conflict is going for Ukraine. They're winning. They're taking back kilometers of territory. They never hear about the people who are dead. They just go missing. And mother's protest of, gee, where is my son? If he's dead, I want to be paid for his death, according to their law. But because nobody knows where these guys are, these mothers, these daughters, these wives never get the salaries that they're due. They don't get paid the, uh, you know, the life benefits. So um, people are starting to stir in Ukraine as well. Interesting. I'm not surprised. Rick, do you want to chime Let in? I think the oh. um, on the surface, this stuff doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you look at it from a, an aerial view and you understand that, again, this anti-Semitism that we're seeing is not, it's postmodernist anti-Semitism. It is often anti, it's, it, it's without, you don't need the Jews to have it. Um, for instance, Russia is aligning with Palestine and Hamas which seems to be fascistic, but at the same time, the Israelis are being portrayed as the new Nazis, which also doesn't really make sense. So it's, you know, really these countries, they just, they're like a bunch of gangsters. They act in their own best interests. Common people are cannon fodder and, uh, and they'll play these geopolitical games out. And uh, and a lot of people die in the process. Um, you really need to dig down and 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 look at the, the 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 real politics under the surface to understand why all this stuff is playing out the way it's playing out. Um, sometimes somebody calling for peace really wants war. They just want peace for a while because it's an advantage to them to do that, or they'll align with an enemy because it's in their political interest to do so because the enemy of their enemy is their friend for now until later. So these things on, you know, to people, it may not make sense, but it sort of does make sense. What you said right there makes yeah. so much sense to me as a historian who studied, mm -hmm. especially the 20th century. Uh, I mean, the pogroms go back hundreds of years, especially across Europe, but in the 20th century, when we saw the pogroms, for example, after the Russian Civil War and after the Russian, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't just about the Jews. Like you just said, the Jews were a convenient scapegoat. Right. But it, there was really, it was about geopolitics. It was about stolen land. Uh, it was about a land dispute. And most of all, in that case, and again, I see this repeating in the 21st century right now, it was about communism. It was about the rise of communism and the fear that that struck in the hearts of the, you know, the capitalist countries, the fascist countries, as fascism was just being born over there. Um, and, you know, I just, after seeing that clip from Ukrainian television, uh, <clears throat> accusing the Russians of being Nazis, when I look around Russia and I look at Russia a lot, 
I don't see random gangs of Nazis parading through the streets of Moscow. I don't see that on the streets of St. Petersburg. But in Ukraine, you can't swing a dead cat, it seems, without hitting a Nazi. And in all the major cities, they're freaking everywhere. And so I have to counter that what I consider to be BS. I'm not saying it doesn't exist in Russia. I'm just saying it doesn't exist at the levels that it exists in Ukraine. Um, I want to show you a quick clip that kind of ties well, but, Before you do that, I want to address something there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, reality is, is Lavrov did make that statement. I don't remember the context yeah, of it. It's about a year um, ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, what I was going to say actually went in one side, not the other. So <laughs> <You don't wish> <laughs> <happens>. <laughs> Damn. maybe it'll come back to you while I yeah, so go this for clip. it. <laughs> this just kind of ties the, the past of Ukraine, the ugly past of Ukraine and uh, ties the past and the present together. Well, let's go to Lviv, Lavov, however you want to pronounce it. In 1939, Lviv, or Lvov at that time, was under Polish control. The Soviets came in 39 and occupied the city and arrested a lot of people. They got ordinary Ukrainians to um, kill people, and it was it was pretty easy to convince them to do it. They opened up the prisons, and they released a lot of the prisoners, but also uncovered the graves of people who had been killed there. Было несколько десятков тел со следами страшных увечий. КГБ поработало. Много в НКВД. They took a lot of pictures of this scene and spread propaganda that this was what the Jews had done. Word spread very quickly about this. Jews were rounded up out of their houses and beaten and stripped and shot and murdered in other ways as well. When I traveled out to the West, I couldn't believe the anti-Semitism that I saw out there. In Lviv, it, it seems like it's it's natural. The situation has gotten quite 
scary here, pretty bad. To the point where the rabbi feels he can't walk in the city without bodyguards because he'll get harassed. I've also noticed a lot more swastikas around the city. The problem is that it remains. It remains for tourists to come and see all the swastikas in Lviv. It remains for any Jews who are here to walk by and see their religious symbols on hangmen. And people, everyday ordinary people, just walk by and that becomes normal. And when hate crimes and hate graffiti becomes normal, that's a sign of the sickness of society. Simply condemnation. I think it's terrible. And actually, I, I know some of my friends actually do this. And it's so difficult to convince them that it's wrong. Oh, yeah, those are the children. Yeah, you know, what I see in this video is it's really hard to follow them in it because they start out with the Nazis were doing this and then they blame the Soviet army. And then they show what the Soviet army did as filmed by a German Nazi. Right. Um, and but they made it look German... that way. But that was not the Soviets doing that. Yeah. Well, and Those you didn't Ukrainian have Germans walking around doing that. Yeah, you didn't have Germans walking around with video cameras while the Soviet army was there. Right. It was misleading <clears throat> no. in that way. Yeah. No, they also kind of skewed what people were saying. Um, you know, yes, there is a lot of it there. They have a lot of the, you know, band rights in that region. Um, you know, the, it was Polish. So <clears throat> it wasn't even part of the Soviet Union originally. But you had some people, you know, well, it's not bad. Some it's, you know, calling them names. Um, you know, we have that everywhere. We have it in Russia. We have it in the United States. We have it in Canada. We have it in Europe. There's just a group of people who are intolerant of others. You know, there's people in the States who are intolerant of blacks. So it's all... You know, unfortunately, if you go out to make a film, I can go out on the street today and I can pick any neighbor that I want and ask them about any of this. And they have no problem with anybody. But if I'm looking to find somebody who is anti whatever, I can find them and I can make a film about it and then classify it as everybody here is like that. 
So this is the problem with propaganda. <clears throat> indeed, indeed. And, you know, I want to take you even further back in history. What we just saw, and I, I apologize, some of this footage is pretty disturbing, these historical films that we're looking at uh, tonight on the show. I would not subject you to this if I didn't feel that the history was important to revisit right now, because there are a lot of people out there who either forgot, you know, they say never forget, but obviously a lot of people forgot this history, or they just didn't know it in the first place. Some people out there in our audience are seeing these shocking films for the first time tonight, right here on Strange Bedfellows. So I did want to give you guys a trigger alert. I'm sorry, I should have warned you before I played that last clip. And I'm going to take you back 20 years prior to World War II and what happened uh, during the Russian Civil War. Again, this same region, what we call Galicia, which was then Poland, um, and the pogroms that occurred in those years. We will return to Germany and to the rise to power of Adolf Hitler and Nazism later. Let's now go back to the latter days of the First World War and to the collapse of the Russian Empire. As we have already mentioned, a major event that occurred during this time was the Russian Revolution, which took place in two stages in late 1917. The revolution would prove to be a defining watershed for the 20th century, ending hundreds of years of Tsarist power and inaugurating nearly three quarters of a century of communist rule. Throughout the second half of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th, feelings of dissatisfaction festered among the Russian Empire's population. Rampant governmental corruption, immense poverty, and persisting industrial, social, and economic backwardness all led to a general sense of disillusionment. As a response, numerous discontented groups and parties were formed. One such group were the Bolsheviks, a Marxist revolutionary faction that split from the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party in 1903. The Bolsheviks placed an emphasis on the working class and called for the violent overthrow of capitalism, as well as the formation of a Marxist dictatorship that would accelerate the transition to socialism. The party became increasingly popular among the urban workers and following the First World War, also among soldiers. Following a revolution in February 1917, Julian calendar, which overthrew the Tsar and established a provisional government, the Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin, seized control of the government in October of that year, Julian calendar, refusing to share power with the other revolutionary groups. The new leaders quickly withdrew from the war and following what they saw as Marxist communism, worked to nationalize private industry and agriculture in the name of the people. Following this coup, the former Russian Empire was plunged into the chaos of a brutal civil war as several forces sought to consolidate control over its various territories, vying to determine Russia's political future. Both the Russian Revolution and the Russian Civil War had far-reaching effects on the landscape of the region, causing radical social and political change and bringing about extreme violence. These did not spare the Jews of the former empire who found themselves becoming equal citizens in the newly formed societal and political structure, 
but also targets of vicious pogroms. These pogroms take place in the extraordinary uh, chaos that erupts after the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, when you have the Red Army, led by Leon Trotsky, that is fighting against the white forces uh, who want to reinstate the Tsar, want to return to autocracy, and they're fighting on behalf of the abdicated Tsar. And you have the Ukrainian forces, led by Simeon Pitlura, who do not want to be um, under the Soviets do not want to be under the whites, but they want an independent Ukraine. And then you have a number of peasant insurgent groups um, who want the land, who want uh, uh, land and who are suffering because of the economic crisis that was tr triggered by World War I. So in this extraordinary chaos, you have an eruption of anti-Jewish violence that has uh, that has not been seen before. 200,000 Jews are killed. Uh, 300,000 Jewish children are left be um, as orphans. Um, according to some news studies, one third of Jewish women are raped um, in public, whereby rape is being used as an instrument of ethnic cleansing. Um, I would even refer to these programs almost as a forgotten genocide because some shtetlach are completely wiped off the face of the earth. Now, why are these pogroms so important um, as far as the interaction between Jews and the state and Jews and non-Jews? Now, most Jews before the pogroms were critical of the Bolsheviks, were against the Bolsheviks. However, in the context of uh, the extraordinary violence that we have in the Civil War, the extraordinary anti-Jewish violence, most Jews will choose the lesser of two evils. They will have to choose the Bolsheviks because the Bolsheviks, the Red Army, is the only army that does not carry out systematic anti-Jewish violence in the areas of Ukraine and Belarus, whereas the other armies, the other uh, insurgent groups do carry out this kind of violence that is very um, um, uh, systematic, also thanks to the fact that it is carried out in a militarized fashion, unlike pogroms before uh, of the 1880s, 1903, 1905, the programs of the Civil War are carried out in a militarized fashion, especially by the white movement. Wow. And you know, something that's really important to point out, I was kind of getting to it earlier, um, how this was politically motivated. It wasn't really motivated by, you know, bias towards their religion. There was a racial component, but it was primarily political. It was the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, that had Germany and Poland and the West so incredibly concerned. And that's why Russia was invaded by, what, 20 different countries after World War I and the revolution. Kevin, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, 
a lot of what was said in that clip you played is true. But again, they kind of slant it as anti-Soviet Union again. Um, you're getting me the chance to talk about what I was supposed to talk about on my show this morning. Um, <laughs> Until technical so, difficulties intervened. <laughs> so many technical difficulties, yeah. Darn, I was so, so looking forward to that too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they talked about the Jews had to pick the lesser of the evils and there were groups that were, you know, uh, carrying out pogroms against the Jews. Reality is, is the Bolsheviks were not. Um, you know, a lot of the history people don't understand, Vladimir Lenin was himself a quarter Jew. So, um, you know, it doesn't make sense that the leader of the Bolsheviks, uh, you know, was carrying out mass murders against Jews. And, you know, um, I've read a lot of uh, oral <clears throat> histories from that period from the people who survived the pogroms. And they all say time after time, I've seen these stories repeated uh, how they talked about the whites or what would become the Ukrainian nationalists would come riding into their village, burn it down, take everybody out and shoot them, rape the women, kill the kids. It was horrific. And every time it was the Red Army who came riding into town and took care of it, put down the pogrom, nursed the wounded, buried the dead, ran those bandits out of town. And they did this in village after village after village from 1919 through 1921. Um, it was just a, a constant thing that, that Lenin and Stalin and the Bolsheviks had to deal with, was putting down pogrom after pogrom after pogrom. And, you know, they say that they're, yeah. the Red Army were their heroes. They, they came in and saved the day and then they did it again in World War II, they were the ones who liberated most of the concentration camps. Well, Stalin's third wife was Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Trotsky, his actual name was Bronstein. So if that tells you anything, and of course they talked about him in that clip. Um, you know, a majority of the leaders in even the, uh, the times of the Tsars, were Jewish or had Jewish wives. So it isn't something that really is, you know, a big problem here. Do we have anti-Semitism? Absolutely. Um, you know, everybody has it to some extent. But um, I don't know. You know, what can I, let me, let me do this. I, I read, uh, you know, a, a thing from the uh, Chechens. You know, we're hearing right now about the Muslim population of Russia, you know, all up in arms about the Israelis and refugees. And I read something for Rick from the Chechens that said, you know, these people have fought with us for ages. They live amongst us. The, uh, the Jews fight with us in the special military operation. Today, in Russia, is National Unity Day, hence my background here. 
Um, and this was a statement by soldiers on the front lines in Ukraine. It says, we come to congratulate everybody uh, in our motherland on National Unity Day. Today, here, Muslims, Orthodox Christians, Catholics, Jews, fighters of all religions and nationalities are defending our land from the Nazis so that the people of Russia can live calmly and safely so that every child can grow up with pride in our country and with respect for everyone around the world. We are all equal here and we are all for each other and you be for each other and for us in a peaceful land. This is the general attitude of Russians. Putin's statement about the Israel-Palestine conflict, Lavrov's statement, you know, Lavrov did, uh, you know, his statement was a hair harsh, um, but I've got it here. Uh, somewhere um you know but he he oh yeah he said uh it's impossible to eliminate hamas without destroying gaza along with the majority of the civilian population that's usually where the west ends his quote saying see they're against israel um or they're against palestine they're you know whatever but he says, the destruction of Gaza with the expulsion of civilians who number about 2 million people will lead, a, for, lead to a catastrophe for decades, if not centuries. So there is this real view here that the civilian Palestinians are being massacred by the Israeli government. and. The Israeli civilians are being massacred by the Hamas terrorists. So it's really about the people that Russia stands behind. They don't stand behind Hamas. They don't stand behind the Zionist government. They stand behind the people of both sides. I think that's what a lot of people in the West are struggling with right now, to understand what's going on in Russia. And they're trying to figure out, you know, why was Putin meeting or why was the, these Russian diplomats, why were they meeting with Hamas? Actually, they didn't meet with Hamas. Hamas showed up unannounced and they were refused. That's not the way it's been reported. <laughs> Would that surprise you in the West? <laughs> it does not surprise me. Yeah. They did show up. They did go to the Kremlin and they were refused an audience. Very interesting. Very interesting. So Putin said, I want to draw attention to the heads of all regions, heads of law enforcement agencies, and special services to the need for firm, timely, and clear actions to protect the constitutional system of Russia and the rights and freedoms of all of our citizens, inter-ethnic and interreligious, to provide harmony. That's striking the right. Cord. That's what we needed to hear Putin say. Um, it it, it caused a, a lot of alarm <laughs> over here in the West, let me tell yeah. you. But you did and, not hear him say that. You know, you wanted no. to delve into the history a little bit. You know, the first Jewish state 
was originally proposed for not only Crimea, but they called it Crimea and California. It was Crimea and that region going up through Kherson and Odessa all the way over to where Romania is. It was supposed to be that big area, which was a, uh, proposed initially. That's and right. Stalin agreed to that in the mid to late 20s. And they had some, I don't remember the, the number, 75, 95,000 Jews move into the area. Right. But as what happened is they were funded by Jewish organizations in the United States and the Soviet Union gave them money to relocate there and, uh, you know, start communities. And the locals started complaining and rising up against them. And again, you know, was it a pogrom? Maybe, I don't know. But the people were against these well-off Jews with lots of money settling in this entire region, and it was causing problems. So as what Stalin did in 27, is he actually created an, a Jewish region in, you know, it's often said in Siberia, Iberia. but it's actually out in the Far East. It's uh, right on the border of China and Mongolia, right in the corner down there. It's not a wonderful place. Well, he sent them um, to no man's land, but he sent at them least to no man's know, the pogroms land. would not find them there. Exactly. Right. Because the people would leave them alone um, is what I was told by Dimitri this morning is in the summer, it is hot and humid and in the winter it is cold. So it sounds kind of like Northern Florida to me. <laughs> um, and there were, uh, right now there's about 75,000 people there. 10% of them are Jewish. Um, their population has been 10 to 11% all along. But this was the same time that we had the uh, Belfort uh, Memorandum mm -hmm. that Britain proposed, along with you know making promises to 20 other countries to get their way, um, with the intention of keeping none of them. And um, you know, we actually have a town not too far from us, about 30 kilometers away. Um, you know, what, 12, 14 miles from us. It's named Inkerman. And where do you think the name Inkerman came from? It's a Jewish city in Crimea. We have three synagogues here. And nobody bothers any of the Jews here. But, uh, you know, this is the territory that these well-off Jews wanted and their wives. They wanted the warm, temperate climes, um, and instead they were giving, given, you know, BF Egypt. Right. So, right. <laughs> Not the prime the, real estate, for sure, out there. Yeah. But Crimea this was brought up again is. At, yeah, this was brought up again at the Yalta Conference, mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, Roosevelt who he kind of led Stalin in this a little bit with some unfair statements. He said, Stalin, I'm a Zionist. How about you? 
And Stalin said, in principle, in principle. I am. But there's problems with this movement. And this is the reason why he supported that in uh, Palestine. Mm -hmm. That and the Soviet fact Union that... Union was like the first country to vote at the United Nations for the creation of Israel. Yeah, and it's kind of like Rick said earlier. It was a political thing, though. They wanted a Jewish state in Palestine because they sent many uh, Soviet military men, leaders there, Jewish leaders, to help arm them, to help train them, to, you know, who, who were the guys that were the enemies of the Soviet Union at the time? The Arabs. So you, you plant a bunch of Russians, Jewish Russians, in the middle of Palestine, have them train a bunch of Jews, and you have what we have today. <laughs> and what's interesting is for several years, Stalin forbade his citizens to migrate to the new state of Israel. The Jews were not allowed to leave for several years. Um, he wanted to keep them, I guess in his mind, safe at home in the Soviet Union, and he felt that the Red Army could adequately protect them. He, he liked that idea of autonomous zones to protect them. And, and I, I understand the reasons why, because it's sort of like that, that planned migration, the planned original Jewish state or settlement in Crimea, for example. You know, that movement started in the early to mid-20s, and the whole reason for it, if I understand it correctly, was, so to again, to prevent the pogroms that were still a very recent memory mm -hmm. of 1919, 20, and 21. And uh, the threats against Jews specifically and communists, um, because there was this, you know, I, I think of it as a mental illness that the Nazis had, that the Ukrainian nationalists had, where they conflated Bolshevism and Judaism. They called it Judeo-Bolshevism. And I know it's kind of a complex subject, so I, I have a short clip to show you here that kind of explains. Can I ask, can I ask you a question, Kevin? Yeah. So this is a report. This is New York Post, a lot of them. And they're saying here that the Russian foreign ministry officials met with Hamas leaders, Bassem Naim and Musa Abu Marzouk. That's what we're being told. So you're saying that that didn't happen? I am saying that did not happen. There was an official release from Peskov saying that they were denied an audience at the Kremlin. But it says here also that they posed for a picture with um, Russian pictures. Deputy Foreign Minister Mikhail Bogdanov. Right. So that didn't happen? Well, I don't know if they have a picture the of it. They was probably with them. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So okay. much confusion. Nobody knows what to believe. I, well, I don't even know who Bogdanov, Bogdanov is. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, let's ponder that while we watch this a, clip. Is he a funny...
The Russian Revolution had additional implications on the way Jews were treated and perceived, both inside and outside of what would become the Soviet Union. Firstly, under the Bolsheviks, Jews were granted civil equality and anti-Semitism was outlawed. However, as we will soon see, the Bolshevik definition of Judaism and Jewishness would also greatly limit their religious and national freedom, affecting their treatment and the way others perceived them. An additional outcome of the revolution and the events following it was the growing fusion of Jews and revolutionary movements, especially Bolshevism. As discussed in last week's lesson, this perception already began to appear in the late 19th century. Following the Russian Revolution and its aftermath, it became even more widespread. Let's turn to examine these developments further. The Bolshevik Revolution seemed to open up glorious new opportunities for some Jews, among many other peoples and classes. Uh, but it uh, carried within it the, the seed of destruction uh, for Jewish culture in areas uh, of the former Russian Empire that fell under uh, long-term communist control, because ultimately the communists uh, defined Jewish identity in, in narrowly ethnic terms uh, and uh, were opposed to both traditional religious culture as well as to Hebrew and Zionist culture. And so only certain forms of Yiddish culture were initially cultivated and tolerated uh, under uh, Soviet rule. And eventually that too uh, came to be extinguished uh, in the 1950s. Uh, and uh, even more catastrophic than the impact of, of communism on the sort of pluralistic diversity of Jewish culture in the former Russian Empire was the, uh, the linkage that developed between European anti-communism and anti-Semitism. Because to the extent that Jews were somewhat disproportionately represented in the ranks of uh, communist movements, and initially in the Soviet Union and uh, in other parts of, of, of Europe, uh, and to the extent that Jews more broadly uh, were disproportionately represented among movements of the left, uh, including social democratic movements, uh, and insofar as Marx had been of Jewish heritage, even if he was an anti-Semite himself, uh, it was easy to put a Jewish face on communism. Uh, it was completely distorting and uh, manipulative to do so, but, but it was an easy propagandist link uh, for anti-communists and anti-Semites to, to make and to find common ground on. The Nazis exploited this ruthlessly. Uh, the myth of the Jido-Komuna, the Judeo-Communist conspiracy, uh, was a, a powerful political force in Poland in the, in the 1930s and into the 1940s. Uh, and, uh, and so this perception, uh, however misleading and distorted, of of communism as being some kind of uh, aspect of, uh, of, of a Jewish conspiracy against Christianity, private property, and European civilization uh, was to prove literally lethal uh, for Jews in, in the context uh, of rising anti-Semitism in interwar Europe, and then uh, obviously in the context of the, um, uh, of the Holocaust, uh, which I think would have, would have uh, 
you know, it cannot be reduced to that element, but, uh, but the, the linkages are striking. Where'd she go? Hey, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So to answer your question, yeah. Um, like I say, Hamas did not come to well, Hamas went to Russia to Moscow and was refused an audience. Bogdanov um said that on Thursday, that that previous Thursday during his visit to Qatar, leadership of the Palestinian movement. Um, so we can assume that's Hamas, but that was while he was in Qatar. So what's that? This picture that um, they've attached to these stories. I would say this is a picture from Qatar. So that's what I would guess. Here. So we've got... Uh, Says senior Hamas officials Bassam, Naim, and Musa Abu Marzouk and Russia's deputy foreign minister Mikhail Bogdanov met for talks in Moscow Thursday. And there's a photo, and that's from Reuters. Yes, and that Thursday was actually in Qatar. So that's in Qatar, not in Moscow? That's in Qatar, not Moscow. Okay, because they're saying it's in Moscow, but whatever. Nevertheless, is that not them meeting? Yeah, it's this. this uh, they met. This deputy foreign minister, um, yeah. a special representative for the Middle East is what he is, and okay. chairman of the Imperial Orthodox Palestine Society. Okay. But yeah, I mean, Moscow, it's, not, it's they, not like they sat down and had a face to face with Putin. It's not like that. <clears throat> right. They did. They did arrive in Moscow, but they were turned away in Moscow. Hmm, OK, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just reading the caption. It says that's in Moscow, but yeah. whatever. Um, nevertheless, they had a, a meeting with a guy who's a government dude. But that's I mean, it's not Putin. It's not like that. You know, yeah. From I mean, from what I, I see, do here, see he I mean, I absolutely on... see the you know the battle lines being drawn, the alliances or the axis yeah. being formed. I see you know Russia obviously um, aligned with Iran. Uh, you know, some of these countries are lining up on this side. These guys are lining up on that side. These guys are pro-American. Egypt is uh, you know more inclined to sort of be on the U.S.-Israeli side, but not fully committed because you know you have all these <laughs> complex things going on. You see, so you, you, I mean, everybody's picking a side essentially, and and you can yeah. see that uh, th this is all lining up according to this multipolar new geopolitical reality that we find ourselves in. And it's not just about anti-Semitism. It isn't just about, you know, who hates Jewish people. It's the new geopolitical reality that uh, is propelling us toward a third world war. That's yep. kind of the way I see it. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got North Korea, Aligning with Russia, 
and aligning with the Palestinians now. Yeah. Um, North Korea's, uh, I saw a report this morning of uh, some Ukrainian soldiers saying that you can hear a Soviet-era artillery shell coming at you. You hear it coming. But the North Korean artillery shells, there's something in the design of them. They're silent. They hit them with no warning with those. So, you know, Russia yeah, denies you know, getting, you know, weapons from, you know, Iran and North Korea. But reality is it's happening. Yeah. And I mean, the, as I've said, you know, anti-Semitism today is sort of this anti-Semitism is sort of a postmodernist political anti-Semitism. It's, it's rooted in political motivations and, and, and anti-Semitic tropes that have roots in anti-Jewish um, prejudices and cliches uh, that, that are sort of present within the history of even anti-Jewish Christian bigotry. Yeah. It extends, you know, into every country. It, it's so it becomes kind of complex and and almost an you can't explain it to, to some degree, but you can. And it manifests itself in, in strange ways, even here in Canada. So, you know, Laurie isn't going to want to see this. <laughs> but you go to the, just here in Canada. Sorry, Marxists communists here in Canada, they're aligning, uh, they're actually lining up with the fascists because they've bought into the anti-Semitic rhetoric, which is has been cloaked in this new, I would call it like, let's call it woke fascism. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're, they're buying into it. So you go to the Marxist.ca website and you're finding all kinds of it there. Um, are you a communist on the top? But then it says, what can communists do to free Palestine? And then you read this release from them yeah. and you scroll down. I mean, it's very, I would say it's anti-Semitic. And and then I, I did say on my program that there, there it, this has woven its way into the freedom movement in Canada. And I've I've been listening to, it's very pro-communist, rhetoric that is now flowing from this populist movement which is part of the freedom movement it's becoming very weird and it's anti-semitic at the same time and yes i'm sorry but there are people within as we've seen people within the freedom movement who want to overthrow our government now there are marxists who want to overthrow our government and Lori sent me a message and you know friendly but she said, you know, communists <laughs> don't want to overthrow your government. But then right in this release, it says right in here that, uh, oh, right here, right here. Above all, we need to overthrow our own imperialist government in Canada. Uh, it's, I didn't make it up. It's right there. People's heads are exploding, man. It's like we yeah. are in so much trouble because <clears throat> everybody is just picking a side and strangely, it, it seems it, it's just leading us down the, these paths to the same 
mistakes that we've made in in the past. I I understand it. It's hard to wrap your head around how how can the fascists and the and the communists be lining up together against the Jews. It's right there, man. Yeah, far, isn't it? Well, you it's know, the craziest the, goddamn thing I've ever seen, Rick. I have is, to tell man, you, it is. But I, um, I, you know, I talk, I talk to my communist friends about it, and of course, the reason that they align themselves with Palestine is a number of reasons. But uh, oppressed versus yeah, the oppressor, they're automatically yeah. defaulting to the side of the victim. And it's in an their alliance minds. that's been in the place supposed uh, victim. since right. the, the supposed victims. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stalin kind of switched sides in the fifties and the Soviet Union after Stalin died, um, and started yeah, and to align themselves I'm with sorry, their former enemies. I'm not giving Stalin a pass. He <laughs> yeah. he killed a lot of people, man. He killed a lot of people, and he, he killed, killed his a lot of Nazis. Opponents. That's for sure. And it wasn't just. And one day he would. He's recorded saying a lot of anti-Semitic things. The next day yeah. he's passing declarations to protect the Jews. He's he's all over the map because he's like I said. As far as I'm concerned, he's just like a gangster politician who did whatever he had to do to, to further his political agenda, which was communism. And if he had to break a few omelets or a few a few eggs to, make, eggs an omelet, to make an omelet, he, yeah. he, made, he broke a lot of eggs. He broke a lot. <laughs> well, you know and what? So uh, Winston Churchill. And it's all in the past anyway. But man, you know, come you on. know what Winston well, you know, Churchill whole... said about Stalin? He said that Stalin was a a mystery wrapped inside an enigma wrapped inside mm -hmm. a mystery or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he was because here's a man who saved the Jews of Europe. While at the same time, they say he himself was anti-Semitic, yet he had a Jewish wife. But he, <laughs> you know, but on the one hand, he's like forming an alliance with well, Hitler and he's saying, hey, let's carve up Europe. You yeah. come on in, you take half of Poland and I'll take the other half. And and to hell with the Jews over there during that time. It wasn't until Hitler finally broke the agreement, which he expected he would at some point. Um, it had been weakened by you know his war with the allies, which was a strategic move. He didn't give a damn, right? It was like, do I get what I want? Or we'll just carve it up. Just don't attack me. That's not saving the Jews. That's just doing what you think is in your best political interests at the time. I'm sorry. He just, he's, he was no saint, man. Strange so bedfellows, my friend. Strange sure. bedfellows. Right. The autonomous republic yep. actually wasn't meant to save the Jews. They were tinkerers. They were craftsmen. They were, you know, sellers, marketers. And this went against the Soviet flow. So by moving them way off into BF Egypt over there in, you know, the far east, the goal was to get them to start farming. So that was that deal. Um, now, making the agreement with Hitler, that was done specifically because he knew that they were going to attack the Soviet Union. And it was a delay tactic so that they could prepare more. Yep. Um, so I'll defend him on that point. Mm -hmm. um, did he make agreements with Hitler? Absolutely. It was to delay things, though. Um, and yes, you know, this goes into that whole, you know, Jewish thing. Are you for the Jews? Are you against them? And it's a big political thing anyway, because mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, yes, he saved eight, nine million Jews from the Holocaust. But was his goal to save them? Or was his goal to save 22 million Soviets? You know, they lost a lot more people than the Jews did. That's Yet correct. we make the big thing about, you know, That's the true. Holocaust was about the Jews. Right. Hey, a lot Everyone of forgets about lives. the 20, the 20 million other Soviets who lost their lives in that war. Exactly. And yeah. they were sent to concentration camps as well. Yes. So it's like you say, Rick, it right. ultimately it's all governments and politics. You yep. get to the people like us and that's what matters. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, and it gets, it gets really complicated because you have a lot of Palestinians dying too, right? So, well, you have to protect the Palestinians. But what, what about the Jewish state? Well, if they pull the funding uh, to, for military aid to Israel, well, then the, you know, the, uh, the anti-Jewish forces there will just roll right over Israel and, and exterminate them. And it, and it can go the other way too. And we're witnessing that on the other side. So it's <laughs> like, this is crazy on either side. You can't really win. They talk about Nuremberg 2.0, because of the pandemic and uh, the crimes against humanity that way. Well, I'll tell you, I think there might be a Nuremberg 2.0 at the end of all this because of the war crimes we're seeing on all sides, all sides, all sides. Mm -hmm. and you might have to somebody, a third party. I don't know who, because it seems like everybody's going to be guilty at the end of this, but um, you know, somebody should be dragging all these people in front of a trial at the end of this and, uh, and holding them accountable for their, for their war crimes. But who's going to do that when everybody's picking a side? Well, unfortunately, you know, it seems like history repeating itself in this way too. The, the, the victor gets to write the history. That's a, that's a dangerous thing. Absolutely. And you know, well, one last thing I wanted to touch we, on. We grew up the we United were... States won world war two. Of course we did. <laughs> in, in Europe. Huh? <laughs> well, if you fell asleep in history class or depending on yeah. what they taught you in history class, yeah, that's the version of events that uh, most Americans and Brits and probably Canadians believe is true. Um, you know, I, I just saw this report come across. Uh, this was just filed today, actually, by Voice of America. And oddly enough, it's about Galicia. We were just talking about the events of, you know, uh, Ukrainian nationalists, the pogroms in that very land where all that occurred. Uh, this report just came across the wire, and I'm going to play it for you right now. To all the members of the Drohobich, Boroslav, Truskovitz communities. The fall of 2019. This amateur footage captures a historic moment. David Avigdor. A rabbi from New Haven, Connecticut, enters the Choral Synagogue, a place of worship. His grandfather, Chief Rabbi of Drohobuch Yaakov Avigdor, exited 80 years before. It was an honor not only to the Avigdor family who survived the Holocaust, but to all those we remember today. Seven young Hasidim from Kiev in the U.S. accompanied Rabbi Avigdor during his visit. Drohobuch, a town in western Ukraine, was one of the Jewish centers of Galicia before World War II. Yaakov Avigdor held his final service here on Yom Kippur in September 1939, shortly after the start of the war. 
In recent years, Drobich resident Leonid Goldberg has seen war up close both in Israel and Ukraine. He came under fire in 2019 when visiting his friends in southern Israel and had to hide in a mamat, a reinforced security room inside the apartment. In 2023, Russian rockets hit his hometown in Ukraine. Children killed in Irpin, Bucha, Mariupol, and children killed in southern Israel. This is the new Nazism we face in the 21st century. Ukraine has been at war for 10 years. Israel has been repelling attacks since its founding. These two countries are now confronting global evil. A local tour guide and publicist, Goldberg doesn't share Jewish roots with those who built the 158-year-old synagogue. His father hailed from Kharkiv and his mother from Donetsk. The family moved to Drohobych during Soviet times. Most native Drohobych Jews were killed during the Holocaust. And today Goldberg is doing what he can to preserve the region's unique historical heritage. The last pre-war Jew of Drohobych died in 2015. It was Alfred Schreier, an outstanding musician and incredibly cultured man. At the beginning of the 20th century, there were three Roman Catholic churches, seven Orthodox churches and 17 synagogues in Drohobych. Today there are no practicing rabbis here, but a lot of people caring for the tradition. This commitment has grown into an educational center. In 2022, Yurkevich found himself defending Ukraine in the East. He remembers a friend from synagogue, helping however he could. He always passes a lot of matzah to the front line. When vehicles with provisions couldn't reach us, the guys would come, and I'd distribute Jewish bread, as they call it. It helped a lot, because matzah doesn't go bad. The Kuril synagogue of Drohobych underwent a decade-long restoration, funded by charity organizations, and is now the largest synagogue in western Ukraine, operated by one of the smallest Jewish communities. The Star of David, intertwined with the Ukrainian trident, a symbolic emblem depicted on Goldberg's kippah. He enters the doors of the city's synagogue every day, hoping all the wars in this world will forever remain beyond these walls. Malena Shudlak for VOA News from Drohobych, Ukraine. I'm sure you had Wait. some thoughts on that, Kevin. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, you know, the rabbi had it right. Ukraine's been at war uh, for the last 10 years. Yes. So at least he's honest about that. Is that um, the only honest thing you heard in that report? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll say this. Um, you know, we hear about the Ukrainian Nazis and... This is propaganda on the other side now. Um, yes, there are Nazis in Ukraine. You know, there's Nazis in the United States, for that matter. Um, the problem of Nazism in Ukraine isn't as big as the Russian press would make it out to be. Um, yes, they have it. It tends to be the Galicia end of Ukraine, 
you know, the band rights. But in general, uh, when we talk to our friends there, there isn't that big of an issue with Nazis in most of Ukraine. So, you know, again, it's propaganda. And this is what people need to understand is, you know, talk to people wherever you're, you know, considering what you're considering. Um, and if you can't talk to people there, talk to people who can talk to people there. Um, you know, there's bad things going on by the Ukrainians against the East, uh, the Western Ukrainians. Absolutely have been for years. Um, you know, did Western Ukrainians take up arms against Eastern Ukrainians? Absolutely. Did Crimea vote to leave Ukraine? Yes. Um, you know, it just it isn't as clear of a picture as people tend to make it. It isn't a black and white thing. It is Never extremely is. complex history. You know, I, I've dug deep into it. It fascinates me. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, the history is important to remember, to understand. And we've, we've tried our best to educate, to unravel that history, especially for people like us in the West who we just weren't taught this stuff in the United States. I don't know what they teach in Canada, but it's probably a lot like what we learned here. A lot of it depends on where you went to school, uh, what you were taught. And it uh, looks like Rick has a video clip queued up there. Of Is that Stu Peters? That's Stu Peters. Oh, yay. Let's talk about Stu Peters. <laughs> Yeah, this is his moment. This is a moment just made for a guy like Stu Peters. Well, yeah, I mean, let me preface that with, you know, we talked about the Nazi party in Canada that's sort of being formed with a Thunderbird Nationalist Party, right? And then this is their their emblem, mm. right? Which is a carbon copy, basically, of the emblem from Nazi Germany in World War II, but Kevin is quite right to point out that you really have to talk to the people because in my neighborhood on the corner, there's a Palestinian, there's a Jewish guy who lives over there. You know, I've got a, a Muslim friend two doors down and we all get along and every, there's really no issues in my neighborhood. We're all fine, right? But there are people trying to ramp everything up and there are people with political motivations. That's what that guy promoting this new party in Canada is all about. But last night we had, he's a first nations guy and it's an ethno nationalist movement that is first nations based for this, this new party. And yet last night, who did I have on the program? We had Carmel, Carmel. who is a first nations woman who is pushing back because she realized that he was basically tricking her, duping her and other people into following him with this new twisted sort of cloaked language and using new words that mean different things to tell, uh, you know, the, the age old story of, uh, you know, how the world is being oppressed by Jews without actually using the word Jew. Mm. Right. And we're, we've been seeing this, especially over the last three years with 
these anti-Semitic stories that are not being told using the word Jew. It's anti-Semitism without Jewish people in it, where it is, you know, the world is being controlled by the elites who control banking, who control the pharmaceutical industry, who control the media. They, they, they're in complete control and they're shadowy figures. You're never really quite sure who they are. And this story is being told by people like Stu Peters, who is now really coming right out and actually putting his anti-Semitism, his anti-Jewish uh, feelings on full display for people and receiving even media awards for doing it. And he's doing it alongside other influencers like Ye or Kanye West or whatever you want to call Nick him. Fuentes. Yes, Nick Fuentes, mm -hmm. people like that. And there are, you know, others as well. And, you know, here he is. And what does he want to do as a result? Where does this lead? Well, yeah, to this. That. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so we talked um, as we exited the last segment that we were going to start talking about what accountability looks like. Okay, because I I'm gonna, I want to go on the record again and just say the people that have perpetuated these crimes against humanity, when they're found guilty um, in a, in a court of law, should be executed. They should be hanged or shot in the brain. Um, they, I mean, they, these people should face. They should definitely face the ultimate extreme uh, accountability. Yeah. That, and you see, you see where it goes real quick. And uh, so, you know, and this is a guy who has a lot of followers, who's built a huge audience. And I'm sorry, folks, uh, to tell you this, but a lot of what you've been hearing and even some of this, I've I didn't recognize it for a long time. But they're pulling people down into that rabbit hole, which is it, it's been an indoctrination leading to this moment where they're now pivoting and taking the masks off and saying, look, we, you see, it's, we had the answer all along. It's those people over there. And who are the Jews? Well, today it's, it is Jewish people, but it's more than that. It's, it's anybody that. they really point their finger at and say, it's that guy there. It's that doctor over there. It's this politician. And if they're not Jewish, then they're just the Gentiles. They're the pedophiles who are <laughs> vulnerable to being exploited and controlled. They recruit those people and pay them off and say, we won't convict you if you do our bidding and we'll put you into a position of power because we can control you because you're a pedophile or you're you know, an adulterer or whatever other. Or you were blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's okay. why you have to support Israel because they've got the, the Mossad's got the dirt on you. From, That's exactly right. Or, or you know? Donald Trump, uh, you know, we've got him on the, the PP tape or, you know, whatever it might be. Okay. And so. That's how this story is being told, but it's all leading to the same place where it's always led uh, from the time of the, the death of Christ, where it was the Romans who killed Jesus. They, they executed him, but ultimately it became the, the fault, fault of the, of the Jews. Jews. Yep. The fault of the Jews. Okay. So yep. this goes back over time and we need to be very careful about it because this really is history repeating itself again. Oh, and it's even weirder this time because I've seen, Rick, and I won't name names, but I've seen several left-wing socialist uh, accounts, even friends of mine, since this war started, retweeting the likes of Stu Peters, retweeting the likes of, of 
Nick Fuentes and going, yeah, what he said, absolutely. And then you go, okay, now this is getting really weird because what a lot of people, my friends on the left might not understand, and I would like my friends on the left and my communist friends to understand that Nazism and the worship and adulation of Adolf Hitler is still very much a thing in the Palestinian liberation movement of today. I'm going to show you something here that might just open your eyes. There is a line of clothing stores, I kid you not, in Gaza, Gaza City, called Hitler. There's uh, a Hitler (laughs) 1 and a Hitler 2 because they're so popular. They've got two stores in the city of Gaza. Now, considering the bombing campaign and the airstrikes, I don't know if these stores are still standing right now or if they're open or closed or a pile of rubble, but it's a thing in Arab culture, and it's not just in Palestine. It's all throughout the Arab world. They call it Hitler chic, you know, and a lot of the fashionable young men today are really into it. And I'm going to I'm going to show you the clothing store in Gaza. Take a look at this, guys. This is. أنا والله كنت شوف الإعلان هذا على الفيسبوك حاجات حبيت أشوف المحل لأنه السكينة والكوفية والهذا صار رمز من رموز الضفاط الأقصى وحبيت يعني أجي على المحل وأشتري منه وعجبني عجبتني يعني الفكرة إنه قصة مساندة مع أهلنا بالقدس والضفة يعني وعجبتني يعني الفكرة كلها أنا مارك بدي أشتري أو يعني فلفت انتباهي المحل إنه بيعبر عن رمز من رمز الانتفاضة في الضفة ويعني هذه الشغلات مساندة لأهلنا في الضفة قصة السكين والكوفية واللتمة حاجات حلوة تلفت الانتباه ويعني إشي حلو مميز كمان حاجات حلوة كتير <تصفيق> from a few years back, I should tell you. Um, You probably figured that out by now. And this is in no way to diminish the pain, the suffering of Gaza, of the innocent civilians in Gaza who've suffered these airstrikes now for three weeks, almost a month. Um, It's a no- It brings up questions for me though. Your question is? It brings up questions for me. Yeah? We hear about the poor Palestinians 
who don't have jobs, you know, only a very select few are allowed to go to Israel to work and earn money. Everybody else is dying. Who has the money to buy this stuff? And I'm going to couple that with something that Arkady told me a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Israel and Palestine. Um, he said, Israelis go to Gaza City to buy stuff all the time. So who's, who's buying this? That's a good question. Are they locals or are they tourists? Maybe from Egypt or wealthier countries who are on a, a tour? <clears throat> Thought it was an interesting, I don't know if it's in a touristy yeah. area uh, of the city or again, if that place even still stands. And again, while I, I, I hate these airstrikes, I hate seeing the suffering of all these innocent people. Honestly, if they hit that store right there, You'd be okay with it? I'd be okay with that one store being destroyed, yeah. And maybe it's sister store, Hitler too. Give me a break. Uh, there's a lot more to be said. I could go much deeper on the history of that subject, but we'll save that for another time because we are, in fact, unfortunately, out of time. Uh, but, man, well, this has me, been a really interesting conversation. This. I want to remind people. He who forgets history is doomed to relive it. Exactly. So when people tell you history doesn't matter, it matters. That's right. That's why this, this show was so important to, for me to do tonight. And you know, you've had, well, since you two are the strange ones, I must be the bedfellow. Um, <laughs> Cute. But <laughs> Rick. Rick had, you know, Bitcoin Bob. I kind of like Bitcoin Bob. <laughs> Did uh, but I, I think next week you need to have uh, an Illuminati conspiracist on. <laughs> oh, and we haven't heard from that. them in this whole deal. Yeah, Rick knows a few of those guys. I'm sure he can find them, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Sometimes I watch Maverick News and I go, Rick, where do you find these people? <laughs> I wonder this Did all the time. You? Where do you find these people, man? They find me, guys. They find me. I knew it. And <laughs> see, we find each other. That's how we found Kevin Michalizzi. And I, I hope, uh, folks, that if you're not already watching his uh, channel, he has an excellent channel called American in Crimea. And also the InfoWars, is it InfoWars Press? Is your other channel? Press, yeah. Yeah, and they're all just part of the Maverick News Network. I hope you'll go subscribe to his channels. Uh, you'll see a lot of great stuff on there. He's done a whole series about the history of the Soviet Union that I think you'll love. But we are out of time. Folks, thank you so much, so much for watching Strange Bedfellows, and we'll see you back here next Saturday night. Good night and peace. <laughs>